This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel. I have tried a lot of different chalk in my 14 plus years of climbing, and this is my favorite chalk that I've ever used. I love the texture. It's got the perfect amount of grit to it that makes it feel sticky when you put it on your hands, and I swear that it stays on my hands longer than other chalks. And if you like bouldering and you're trying a long boulder problem, or you like sport climbing or trad climbing and you're trying a short, pumpy route where it's hard to stop and chalk up, having chalk that stays on your hands a little longer can make all the difference. So check it out at chalkcartel.com. You can check out their shop. They've got quarters. They've got kilos. They've even got a sample pack for $3. I call that the dime bag. So you can try it out before diving elbow deep into your chalk bucket. And if you're already hooked like me, you can even buy a subscription and you can have amazing chalk automatically sent to your house every month or every other month or every third month. All of their packaging is eco-friendly, so keeping your chalk bag full has never been easier or lower impact. So check them out. That's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout to save 20% off your next purchase and get ready to join the cartel. This episode is also brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I have seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. If you listen to this podcast and you're a self-coached climber or you're interested in training for the very first time, Crimped was designed to give you a professional training experience right there in your pocket. All of the workouts in the app are crafted by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall, who has been on the podcast, and his partner, Ali Tor of Lattice Training. You can find workouts that are tailored to improve whatever it is that you want to improve. If you are a boulderer and want to get better at it, there's a whole section of bouldering workouts that you can try out in the app. If you want to get your fingers stronger and be able to crimp on tiny little holds like Paul Robinson... There's a whole section for that too. There's a whole section on finger training and it's free. So check it out with crimped training on your own has never been easier. Check out crimped.com. That's the word crimp with a D to get started and download the crimped app for free. That's crimped.com or find the crimped app on the app store for iOS or Android and get psyched to start training. Finally, this episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I've been taking Fizzy Vantage Supercharged Collagen every day for several months now, and I love knowing that my tendons and my connective tissues all have the building blocks they need to get stronger. Supercharged Collagen is a research-based athlete-proven supplement that supports collagen synthesis in your fingers and your other connective tissues while also supporting the force transfer matrix of your muscles. What the hell does all that mean? Well, what it means is that if you want stronger fingers, you should be supplementing with collagen. Some of the Fizzy Vantage pros call supercharged collagen their finger food. And most of their pro athletes and thousands of customers swear by supercharged collagen for helping maintain strong, healthy fingers. Boulderer and crusher Drew Rowana, who's been on the show, who we actually talked about in this episode, swears that it helps his skin recover after a hard tip shredding session. So check it out. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your order. That's fizzyvantage.com. Use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15%. And I hope you enjoy some tasty collagen. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is 
Paul Robinson. If you don't recognize Paul's name, Paul is one of the best boulderers in the world, and he has been pushing the front edge of bouldering for at least 15 years, probably longer than that. He's been climbing for multiple decades, and he has got one of the most impressive tick lists on the planet. This guy has climbed roughly two dozen V15s, and Paul has also climbed more than 1,000 boulders V11 and harder. Blows my mind. I've done three, and Paul has done more than 1,000. We talked about that in this conversation. I was really curious to hear what keeps Paul's drive alive to keep doing hard climbs, given that he's done so many. We talked about whether or not he is still improving and how he thinks about that. We talked about his analogy of climbing as a book and collecting different skills as different pages to fill out this book of experience that we all have with climbing. And we talked about some real stuff as well. Paul's had a number of really serious injuries in the last couple of years. He very graciously opened up and shared his experience with a neck injury and surgery and a leg injury and what it felt like to go through that and come out of that. And Paul recently opened up on social media about being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder and about mental health. And we talked about that in this conversation as well. And of course, we dug into Paul's process for projecting boulders. He's got more experience than just about anybody on the planet when it comes to the tactics and the strategy of doing hard boulder problems. And he had some really awesome and helpful things to share that I think all of us who are interested in climbing hard boulders can take away. So look forward to that as well. And yeah, I just thought this was an awesome conversation. This was the first time I've had a conversation with Paul. He was so pleasant to talk to and so thoughtful and I really enjoyed this one. So I hope you guys do as well. And without further ado, here is Paul Robinson. Um, do you have a a hard stop, a time cut off today? No. Okay. No, I'm just gonna go climb whenever we're done. Nice. Where are you gonna go? Uh, probably it's really nice today. So probably just close to home. Like I live in Colk Creek in Colorado and there's just like a lot of boulders in the area. Congratulations on the house, man. I just watched one of your latest YouTube videos and saw like the construction and, and the house and everything. Yeah. And congrats. It looks beautiful. It's yeah. Thank you. Has that been Thank a dream you. for a while? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It took about three years to build. So wow. um, I'm happy it's done. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I I'm bet. not sure I would do it again. Really? Yeah. <laughs> it was pretty hellish. Yeah. Yeah. My sister and her husband just went through that. And um, I wonder how many of those things actually finish when they say they're going to finish. Because the same thing with them, like they were supposed to live with my mom and dad for like six months or something. And it ended up being almost two years. It was, it. I mean, COVID, everything, but it was like mm -hmm. so much longer of a process than they than they had planned for. <laughs> it seems oh, like that it, happens yeah. every time. So much longer and so much more expensive than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Did you design it yourself or were you involved in, in the design? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I, I basically uh, helped with kind of every aspect from architectural design to lighting and uh, yeah, everything. No way. That's cool. Yeah. 
Man, that must mm-hmm. be really gratifying. Um, yeah. Do you have a like a schooling background in that sort of stuff, or just a just a hobby? No. Yeah, just inter- I've just always been interested by architecture. I've always found it really appealing, and um, yeah, I mean, basically, like you know, the whole concept was like I could never afford something in Boulder, and then I started to kind of like do the math on it, and I was like, wow, if I build something, I could just. I could have what I want, you know, cause like I could, you know, I, if I bought like a shithole in Boulder, then I'd have to put a ton of money into renovating it, which I wouldn't be able to do because a shithole in Boulder costs $700,000. Wow. And so, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, finding something in that town for less than a million is almost impossible. <clears throat> and so, yeah, I just kind of like realized that I was like, if I build something, I could, I could build exactly what I want and do it right the first time and then also to like move in with a ton of equity which is like exactly what i wanted to do and it you know it worked, thankfully it worked out perfectly nice that's awesome what are <clears throat> li- living in it now what are some of the mm-hmm. things that you're happiest with about it decisions you made lighting anything like that like what are you really stoked about in the house um i just i love how open it is yeah, I love, you know, I did like, again, like, you know, you can, you just have all these liberties when you, um, when you build from scratch, like it just, you know, like a normal ceiling is eight feet tall, but you know, I did 10 foot ceilings and like, it didn't cost any more to do that, but it's just so nice mm. to have like very tall ceilings and, and yeah, it's just, there's, there's so much light, like the house faces, um, South. And so, um, yeah, I just loved like working with the architect and and designing something that just like feels so open. And so like in the winter in Colorado, I mean, there's a lot of days where it's just so cold and you just don't want to go outside. But what I think is like the most special thing about the house that I didn't kind of realize until like after I built it and moved in is that so many times like in the winter, like when you're just kind of stuck in your house all day, you just feel so claustrophobic. But like having so many big windows and just like such great views and everything like that. Like, even if I am inside all day, like just, you know, editing videos or whatever, um, it doesn't feel like I've been cooped up inside all day. Mm. And I think that's really special. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's interesting seeing that short film. It actually reminds me a lot of the house my sister and brother-in-law built with like giant oh, cool. South facing windows. Yeah. And like tall mm-hmm. ceilings really open. Um, yeah, your view is spectacular. It looks amazing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm very lucky. I know you're a professional climber. Do you do you spend like do you, do you work full time on video stuff? Because you put out a ton of content. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like I. I guess I could kind of give you a little background. So, like, I've always tried to be creative, and and I feel like climbing is a creative pursuit, but video and photo has also just been something for me that I've just gotten a lot of enjoyment out of over the years. But when I was 18, 19, 20, I was filming a lot with like the real rock people, big up productions, et cetera, and, and just other videographers. And I just like, kind of like quickly realized that these guys in like four days were making what I was making an entire year off of like my sponsors. Wow. (laughs) And so I was like, huh, like, I was like, if I start doing this myself, then 
you know, obviously I'm not going to make like that type of money, but I feel like, you know, then it was, it just became really, um, obvious that like my sponsors were into it and I could make a lot more money from them and be able to pursue my passions and, and be able to travel, uh, all over the world by making media of myself. And that was kind of like the, you know, the first time that I was like, okay, this makes a lot of sense. And then obviously I loved the creative aspect of it and like editing with music and things like that were just super fun. But it all came from this kind of like realization that like I was making nothing. I could barely afford to live. And then I was kind of like one of the first climbers out there. I mean, I know Jason kale has been doing it for a while. I'm not claiming to be the first, but I was definitely one of the first to to take filmmaking into my own hands. And, um, you know, obviously way before Instagram days and stuff like that. And it just, uh, yeah, it was so valuable. It was so valuable to me and then so valuable to my sponsors. And it just really accelerated my career. Mm. That's awesome to hear. I've really enjoyed some of your feature films, um, Schengen Files and Uncharted Lines. And mm-hmm. it seems like you've moved more towards YouTube. Is that where things are going for you? Or do you have aspirations to continue making feature films as well? Yeah, I, I definitely would love to make another feature film. Um, the time commitment for that is really tough. And then also, too, like when you do make a feature film, you kind of have to hoard all that footage, which is tough, right? Because, you know, people want to... In, in the world now, like with Instagram being so... Uh, like, you know, Instagram and TikTok, I mean, it's like someone sends something impressive, there's a cool photo, a cool video, and the next day it just doesn't even matter anymore because someone else did something else new. And so I think I think there's a time and a place for it. I think, you know, I think that people would get hyped up for that, but I think that, you know, kind of like what I did with my Waco trip was like these just dailies. And I think that that is it's just so fun and fresh and it kind of keeps people in the moment whereas like, you know, with these feature films, I mean, you're watching stuff that could be almost two years old by the time it comes out. Mm. And so, you know, I mean, obviously pluses and minuses to both, but I've really liked the um, the immediacy of YouTube and what that means. You know, I mean, you can put something out like just so quickly. I mean, you know, I do like a big send and and it's it's awesome to just like kind of put that out there. People get psyched and then, and it's just kind of this this constant thing. And it's also a driving factor for me too, because... You know, I mean, YouTube definitely rewards people that are uploading on a consistent basis. And I go back and forth between consistency, but I think, uh, you know, I, it, it's it's fun to be able to kind of highlight what I'm up to and and also just like have that kind of little bit of like kick in the butt to just like <laughs> keep pushing myself. Sure. Yeah. And I mean, it works really well. I've really enjoyed the series that you've done. You just mentioned the Waco dailies and um you all, you can just share longer ongoing stories doing it this way, uh-huh. and it is really engaging as a as a viewer. And I never, I never really watched reality TV growing up. You know, I never really understood why you would just watch people like go shopping at the mall or whatever. But this is like the best version of what reality TV could be. You know, you're watching people who you're interested in do things you're interested in, and it's yeah. it's just like 
oh, this is how they actually go about their day. Like I was always fascinated by that. And that's a big part of why I started this podcast. Like there's a disconnect there. It's hard to know what are these guys actually doing when they go out and try a hard boulder? What's that look like? You know, is it the same process Mm -hmm. that I'm doing or like, what could I learn from that? So it's really fun to watch that. And I think it was a real gift um, for you to share that road to recovery series. Um, Mm -hmm. That's something I want to talk about later is your neck injury and, and coming back from that because we don't often see that journey, you know, like we might see something after the fact, like, oh, they, they turned out all right. And here's kind of some of the struggles along the way, but to be sharing that as you're going through that, that's a really unique thing. Uh, were you putting out that content like in time, like as you were going through that recovery process? Yeah. 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 I was, I, you know, when, when I kind of announced that I was injured and things like that, I had such, um, such great, just so many people reaching out and just saying like, oh, thank you, you know, so much. Like, you know, I've, I've had a knee injury, I've had a shoulder injury, et cetera. And so I just felt like it would be really motivating for a lot of people to, to see what recovery looks like for, you know, for a professional climber. Um, but just, you know, just another person because, you know, it's, it's, it's just nice to kind of feel like you're, you know, if you're injured, it's so easy to just be down. You just feel, feel alone, don't you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the goal with that Road to Recovery series was just to, you know, to it, it was kind of two-sided, right? It was like to show people that, you know, they're not alone, but also too, to, you know, to motivate me in my recovery process and just kind of show that like, you know, I'm working towards the common goal of, of getting back to a hundred percent, just like many other people are out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess it makes sense to fill in context right now. Can you tell me how the symptoms or the injury kind of manifested? Cause it, if I remember correctly, it wasn't an acute injury. It was something that kind of crept Correct. in and took a while to figure out what was going on. Correct. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, uh, Let's see. Uh, Timeline-wise, it's it wouldn't really. I couldn't even say it. But basically, like uh, you know, uh, probably about six to eight months before the the surgery, I was climbing great. I remember I did uh, a really hard boulder in Coal Creek, um, and then um, I was kind of like just splitting my time between climbing and working on the house. And I remember one day we just did like a really hard day working at the house. And like, I was super dehydrated and like I got home and I was just wrecked. And that night I, I fell asleep and I like woke up in the middle of the night and like kind of turned my body. And like, I just felt this like horrible pain in my neck. And like, again, this is not like an acute injury. It was like, I herniated the disc. So like, it was just kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, and so it was it was inevitable inevitable that it was coming. It just uh that's just kind of like what did it. Um and so yeah, so basically I felt this horrible neck pain. And so because I already had those herniated discs in my neck, I, I would say, you know, once or twice a month, I would just kind of like wake up with just terrible neck pain and for probably the past like four to five years. Oh wow. And so Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I didn't know what it was. I was like, I just, I guess like genetically I have a bad neck. That's kind of just what I thought. I was like, you know, it's just easily kind of kinks. And so, um, 
yeah, so I woke up and, and I was like, man, my neck hurts. And so I took like one or two days off from climbing and I was like, I'll just climb once my neck starts feeling better. And I went to the climbing gym and I, I did like a full session and I like, I didn't climb well or anything, but I just was like chalked it up to my, uh, you know, my neck hurting. And then I was like, oh, you know, I want to, well, I, I didn't climb much. And I was like, I want to do like a, just a little training thing at the end. So I was like, I'm going to just do 10 sets of 10 pull-ups, which is kind of like a, a nice end to the workout for me. And so I did my first set of 10 pull-ups and like, I barely, barely did 10. And I was like, this is weird. Like you don't need your neck to do pull-ups. And so, <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, and to a degree, but whatever. So yeah, so I, I, barely did 10. And I was like, all right, maybe, you know, I don't know. And so then I did like my next set of 10. And I was like, that was like impossible. So I was like, this is weird. Like something's up. So then I went to the campus board and like, you know, I was just like, kind of like, all right, let me, let me see what one five, eight feels like. So like left hand high pulled through to eight, no problem whatsoever. Went with the right hand and I got to five and I just like, kind of like was like this and I, I was like like my arm wouldn't bend hmm. and I was just like staring at my arm like what the heck is going on and then I like got myself into certain positions like on the climbing wall like where I was kind of like this and just tried to like pull into the arm and I just couldn't do it and so yeah so then I went to a PT and you know we tried like some chiropractic work and needling and all these different things like and so with just no help whatsoever and so then he was like yeah you should you know you got to get like an mri on this and so went and got an x-ray first you know insurance reasons or whatever and then got the mri and then the spine doctor was like yeah like you know you you have a herniated disc that's so bad that basically it's, you know, it's pressing up against a nerve. Mm. And that nerve is is what controls, or the, that set of nerves is what controls your lat and your bicep. And so, you know, I had tingling in these fingers here, which like, again, is another sign of like a herniated uh, disc, like pressing on a nerve. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, I basically lost... I would say I probably lost all functionality of my right lat and probably about 50% of my bicep. Wow. Uh, my finger strength was like totally the same. Could just, you know, hang an edge, not a problem whatsoever, but it was the, you know, the, the big muscles that pull through, right? You know, I, I mean, that's what we need to kind of get ourselves up the wall. And so, um, yeah, from there, I, you know, he was like, you know, you can try other options, but, you know, it's really probably just going to be a disc replacement to solve this. And so due to the fact that like it wasn't life threatening, it was considered a um, elective surgery I, uh, because of, um, yeah, I, you know, I was fine. Um, so I had to wait a long time because of COVID. Oh man. Yeah. Cause like the, I found out in November about the fact that I would basically need surgery. And then uh, it wasn't until February 1st until I actually got the surgery. Is that this year or a year ago? Uh, 2021, yeah. Okay. Yeah, a year ago. Yeah. Okay. And so, yeah, so, you yeah, know, I got that surgery and uh, they did a double disc replacement um, 
So like when you're younger, they'll, they'll try to do replacements rather than fusions because with fusions, you just lose a lot of you know, mobility in the neck. But thankfully, um, we did a replacement. And so C4, 5, 5, 6 got replaced. And um, yeah, the recovery has been great with that. And then, um, you know, I, I don't know if you know or not, but then like I was basically like really getting back to strength, but then I got another injury. I like cut my leg open. Oh, I don't think I did know that. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I was like getting back to strength and like I did... I kind of like did my first like V4, like V11, V12, V13. I was like so psyched. I was like, yeah, I'm getting back. And then we were about 10 days or so from leaving for Africa. And I was, we were cleaning up just like a bunch of work material from the, you know, from the build. And it was nice and warm. And like, you know, finally it was nice because it was, it was early June at that point. And yeah, I, I was like holding a bunch of stuff and I kind of tripped and there was a piece of angle iron sticking out of the ground. Oh. And um, yeah, my leg went straight through the angle iron. And so I cut uh, straight through the peroneal tendon, which is like on the outside of your leg, uh, which helps with stability. Like, if, you know, if you're like this, it helps make sure that your ankle doesn't um, fold inwards or outwards. Okay. And so, yeah, so I cut like right through that tendon. And, um, and so that was like, just so devastating because then <laughs> I had to get emergency surgery where they had to reattach the tendon back together. But the surgeon did a really good job. Um, I didn't walk for like six or seven weeks and then climbed like one-legged rope climbing for a couple of months. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, yeah. Now, you know, we're back, we're back again. I, I, <laughs> I feel, I feel stronger than I did pre the leg injury. So yeah, no, I feel good. You know, it's, wow. it was, it was a devastating year last year. I mean, I got, I got the, the neck surgery. I hurt my knee and then right after hurting my knee, that's when I did the tendon and then, yeah, but then, you know, I was able to kind of bring it all back and, and, uh, and get, get back to a hundred percent by the end of the year. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Um, man, some, some real wins for Western medicine there. This is that's just amazing yeah. that they can replace discs in your neck and then repair, like reattach a tendon. And then a year later, mm-hmm. you're like climbing V15 again. <laughs> that's incredible. It's, it's cr- I know it's, it's totally insane. And, and I would say, you know, I don't have, and I probably will never have a hundred percent, hundred percent strength on that right arm. Mm. Like I did before. Um, but I think, you know, I mean, I think there's so many ways to kind of just work around that better technique and, you know, better movement on the wall, things like that. But yeah, I, I would say probably, you know, close to 90% is where I feel like my right arm is now in comparison to like when it was at its absolute best. Mm. Do you think it's still improving slowly or does it feel plateaued there? It feels pretty plateaued. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's been a year and a month since the surgery. So yeah, just kind of, you know, we'll see what the future brings. But yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's really not climbing that I notice it. It's more like when I'm training and I'm doing, 
things that are just very systematic, like campusing, you know, like 158, 158, for instance, right? Something like that that used to feel casual. Like, like I can, like with the right arm, I could, I could do like 158 and a half. And like now my absolute max is 158. And I've just haven't been able to kind of progress past that, which like, again, you know, I mean, it's, it's minimal, but like, it's still a difference that I've noticed. Right. Right. You can really see that difference left to right as well. I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, man, it was, um, I mean, pretty amazing, like I said, to follow this video series and watch you go through this. And one thing that struck me about that is that from the get-go, and I, th I think when you did your first episode, you had already, um, you'd already gone through surgery. Is that correct? And you were starting to rehab again? No, I was about to. You're about to. About to you're about to do surgery. surgery. Okay, yeah. so you'd you'd yeah. figured out what was going on. You knew what your path was going to be, and you were about to mm -hmm. just kind of embark on that. And yeah. it, it just, it, your positivity really hit me. Like you seemed really optimistic. You know, you were saying things like, yeah, we're like, we're going to get back to hundred percent and climb harder than ever. And I, I just am curious, like that's, it's so hard to do that when you're in the thick of it. Um, did you, yeah, it, it seemed like you were able to stay really positive and optimistic going through that, but what was it, what did it feel like? I mean, were you able to kind of hone in or focus on this like beacon of light at the end of the tunnel or, um, I don't know. I imagine like anything, it's like a, more of a roller coaster, right? There's ups and downs and, and good days mm -hmm. and bad days and things. But what did that feel like? I mean, did you, did you feel confident that you'd be able to climb your hardest again? Or was it just like, man, this might be taken away from, from me forever? Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it was, I, the surgery itself was kind of like almost like a breath of fresh air because it was like, it was hope, right? Mm. It was hope in the right direction because for those five, six months before the surgery, it, there was, there was just no, there was no hope. And so I think, you know, during that time period, I was like pretty down because it was like, okay, I have to accept that. Like, I mean, I, I could not, I mean, if it was like the perfect climb for me, you know, and it was like very left-hand dominant or whatever, like I still couldn't climb probably harder than V11. And I was still thankful for that. You know, I was still really enjoying climbing. And it also gave me like a different perspective in a lot of ways because, you know, for so many years, I'd, I'd just taken like my strength for granted and just been like, okay, well, you know, what's the next V15 that I want to try or whatever. And so I remember Lizzie and I, we did a trip out to Joe's and yeah, it was really special because... I, um, yeah, I, I just went there without like the expectation or the fear of failure or kind of this like idea of, oh, I, I need to send X or else my trip's going to be a failure. Mm. And I'd never had that in my entire life. Like, you know, I, I've always been so competitive with myself that every time like I go climbing or every time I go on a trip, it's like, there's a goal and I'm focused. And like, if I don't succeed at it, I'm like really pissed at myself. Hmm. And so doing that Joe's trip was like, was, was like really like calming in a way because I got to go there and not feel like there was this immense pressure to perform, um, at a high level. And so I think that for me was like really a turning point because it allowed me, cause like before that I was just, I was just upset and I was angry and I was really struggling, but Going on that trip, it was like, I can still just have so much fun, um, you know, and, and it, it doesn't necessarily matter, you know, I mean, 
push if if V11 is my max, then that's what I was going to push myself on. And so, yeah, I think, you know, going forwards after that, it was nice because I just, I would go to the gym and I would climb and it wasn't like, you know, I couldn't train. Like, you know, it was just, there was, there was just like this, this, the ceiling that like there was, it was an insurmountable or impassable ceiling that like, I just, you know, that was it. And so, yeah, so getting that surgery was kind of, like I said, it was, it was this, this beacon of hope in a lot of ways, because it was like, you know, we're going to try. And so I, I think I was just really hopeful in the sense that like, hopefully this would allow me to kind of push that ceiling higher and, and allow me to get back to training and, and pushing myself again in, in whatever fashion that, that that was. That's awesome. And I mean, what you said about the Joe's trip is so cool because all of us are headed that way eventually, right? Like hopefully now that you're on the mend, you have another decade or two decades of climbing V15s, climbing super hard. But, mm-hmm. you know, all of us, you know, I, I hope I still climb at 60 years old and I hope I still enjoy it even when I can't push my limits and when things are on a slow decline. Um, so th- that's really encouraging, I think, uh, as far as that goes. Do you feel like you're going to try to do this forever? That's That's something I wanted to ask you because you've already done so much in climbing, especially mm-hmm. in bouldering. Is bouldering your life? Do you think you'll do it forever as long as you possibly can? Or yeah, how do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's I mean, awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I think, right, there's like, you know, the, they, they call it the stages of grief. <laughs> and so I think that's kind of what I went through, you know, and I, I had to reach that acceptance, right? And I think that with getting older, I think that, you know, I, it's, it's probably going to happen again um, for everyone, right? You know, I mean, everyone, you know, it's, it's, it's not a great feeling when you could once do something and you, you can't. Um, and so, yeah, I think, you know, I think it's, it's, I mean, maybe having gone through this once, it's, it's going to be easier in the future, but, you know, I still obviously want to climb my best and I still, yeah, I, I want to push myself as, as hard as I possibly can. Um, but yeah, I mean, the human body is, is, is very much limited by age and, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's impossible to say, but, you know, I, I really do just like you're saying, I hope to find enjoyment in climbing to some fashion, you know, until, you know, 60, 70, whatever, whatever age, like I can't, you know, know, just becomes impossible. I mean, hopefully like the arthritis doesn't get too bad. I mean, that's like, I'd say like, that's kind of like one inhibiting factor for a lot of people. It's just like knees and elbows and fingers just get to the point where it's just too painful. Mm, mm -hmm. So I don't want to get to that point. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like, you know, I, there's a time and a place, you know, I started climbing when I was 10 years old and like, I appreciate climbing and I love climbing, but I don't want climbing to be the thing that like makes me unable to get out of bed when I'm 70. Like I would rather quit climbing at 60 and have like a healthy, you know, 60 to 70, 70 to 80. Um, so, you know, it's, it, I, I don't feel like I'm gonna, you know, just do it till the bitter end. That's for sure. Because <laughs> okay. it's not worth it. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I'm I'm gonna be curious to see what happens because we don't have any examples of people at that age who have the climbing 
breadth and experience and background that you have. And I can kind of envision a 60 year old Paul Robinson, like still crimping his way up the 11s, just, you know, just, just out <laughs> we'll there killing see. it. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, I'd say the closest is like John Sherman. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's... Which God, he is a broken man. <laughs> true. True. Yeah. <laughs> No, no criticism against John. I just spent some time no, with him, but no. uh, but I do think oh, he could take. I, me too. I do think he could take better care of himself. I don't know if. Uh, oh God. I don't know if the, no, you I, know, a couple beers a day is the best way to keep climbing at sixty. Yeah, and and unfortunately for him, you know, I mean his his heyday was pre crash pad, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we have like at least a little bit of a level up on on what on our longevity. Uh, knees and hips are, are going to be able to give us. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a good lead in. I wanted to ask you about your trip to Waco and um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm curious about a couple of things. I'd love to just hear how it went. I know you climb with John. I'd love to hear about that experience, mm-hmm. but, but you really fascinate me because you've just done so much in bouldering. Like you had this goal of reaching a thousand boulders, V11 or harder, 8A or harder. And you've done that, Mm -hmm. you've exceeded that. And you're still, you know, like, actually let's start with that. Like where, where did that goal come from? When did that first become a goal? And what did it feel like to finally hit that number? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I've had an 8A scorecard, um, probably since like 14 somewhere there i i i remember 2602 i believe which like there's a hundred thousand members on a day so <laughs> i was an early adopter that's awesome that's yeah, awesome yeah <laughs> you should get a plaque and so yeah yeah first ten thousand. <laughs> and so yeah so i you know i mean you know everyone has their gripes and with a day but it's for me, it's been a very nice just way of seeing uh my climbing career kind of through the through the years. Oh, I, so, I love it. I have one as well and I, I'm all in. I love yeah. it. It's so fun to see the pyramids and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I honestly though, I think I liked the old version better. Mm. I don't like the new way of updating. I know that's as a tangent, but <laughs> regardless, it should be out there to the world that the old way was better. Um anyway. Um, yeah, so I, I don't remember when it was, maybe 20, probably like 2015, 2016. I was just kind of curious to see like my numbers, like how many 8Cs, how many AP pluses had I done? And then I kind of was like, huh, I wonder like how many 8As and harder I had done. And at that point, like I'd had, I don't know, probably 600, 700, something like that. And I was like, wow, that would be pretty insane to do a thousand of them. Like, you know, people always talk about like what uh, what it takes to master something, you know, 10,000 hours or, or whatever, you know, I mean, obviously it's like just very generalized, but, um, you know, but I, you know, I think, I think, in, I mean, I, I don't think you need to do a thousand boulders V11 and harder to be a master of bouldering, but I think that's, that's kind of like a nice benchmark. Right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and so, yeah, I just, I set off to do it. And like, I looked at other people's scorecards as well. Like, you know, I looked at Jimmy's and Daniel's and Dave's and, and I was curious to see like how many they had done. And like, you know, that's not to say, obviously, like sometimes we forget to update, you know, our cards and forget climbs and whatever. But, um, you know, I, I think, 
I am the first to have accomplished that. I don't I don't want to claim it or anything like that, but you know, I it it was it was really cool. And and also too, what I think was really special about it was that again, like kind of like talking about that Joe's trip, right? It was like there were so many trips that I would go on where it was like I would not touch a climb unless it was my project. It was like, I'd grab some jugs and then it'd be like, okay, cool. I'm going to go try a V15 now. That was it. And so it just allowed me to explore areas further. It allowed me to climb on so many more different styles and also just like enjoy that process a lot more because it was like, oh, you know, like, you know, obviously like I'd be, you know, I'd go to, I don't know, Rocklands or whatever. And so like, and I'd have my goals, but then at the same time too, I'd be like, oh, you know, like I could probably, I could probably do this, this like the 11 pretty quickly. Let me go run over and add another one to the list. <laughs> totally. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I think those, I think those number goals can really complement the projecting experience um, for, for exactly the reasons that you just mentioned, but it is fascinating to me. Like I would love to, to know for you at this point, like how hard is it to find new stuff to do? It must be getting hard or is there just stuff everywhere? Does it just feel endless? Um, it's definitely getting harder. That's for sure. Um, I've lived in Colorado for a really long time now, so there, there's not too, too much left here. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it was very kind of, um, Waco was a very interesting trip this time because I had a couple things that I really wanted to go back for. But leaving Waco this last trip was very bittersweet because you've was, sent I, you everything. Know, I, I, I've, I've done Waco at this point, <laughs> oh um, which, yeah, I mean, obviously there's like, there's some things here and there, but like, you know, yeah, basically everything from the 10 and up I've, I've basically done. Wow. Um, and then, you know, the same goes for Rocklands and the Grampians and Joe's Valley and a lot of Colorado. And so, and so, yeah, so it has been a bit harder to kind of find things and, and, but also too, you know, it's, it's, you know, that was kind of the motivation, I think for, for Uncharted Lines in a lot of ways, because First Ascents just became, I mean, you know, nowadays, like there's a lot of people, Sean and Daniel and Jimmy and stuff that are just putting up hard line after hard line after hard line. And so, it becomes a lot easier now to to do that. But before it was like, you know, I mean, it was, you know, back like when I went to Europe for like the first time, it was, you know, I did all the hardest boulders, like most of the hardest boulders in Font and then most of the hardest boulders in Switzerland, like kind of that big trip I had about a decade ago. And then, yeah, and then that kind of like started that motivation to start searching for my own things because I wanted to, you know, also establish hard boulders around the world. And so that was really the motivation for finding that area um, that I found in South Africa and did, you know, over the course of like four or five seasons, like I think two, 200 to 250 first ascents. Wow. Um, and then, yeah. And then also just like climbing uh, a lot of first ascents around uh, the United States and, and also like exploring Australia and stuff like that pre Grampians closure. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've got some questions for you about your travels. Let's let's uh, put a bookmark in that and come back to that. But as far as Waco goes, what keeps you going? Like what what keeps you what keeps the drive and the hunger to do new boulders alive for you at this point? Having done more than a thousand of them, I, I mean, I can't imagine it's like sweet. I'm going to go do 
8A and harder number 1062. Like I'm psyched, you know? Uh Um, (laughs) So how do you think about going to Waco and what kind of goals did you have coming into a trip like this? Yeah, yeah. So Waco was kind of the very first trip that I took post injury that was like an actual trip. You know, I went to Waco for three weeks and I was like, I've got goals and like, I'd really, you know, like to do these things. And, and it was actually like, I was really nervous going to Waco because a couple of the climbs that I wanted to try, two of them, I had tried previously pre any sort of injury whatsoever. And, and one of them I had tried when I was really climbing well, like my last uh, Waco season, 2019, um, where I climbed just a ton of really hard boulders, but I didn't um, end up finishing Crook by the book. So that one, you know, I was like, yeah, I was, I was like, I remember texting Lizzie back in Colorado and just being like, right, like before, like it was our second day in Waco. And, uh, and I was just like, I'm so nervous to try this thing right now. And um, yeah, like the whole, like that night before that whole day, I was just like, man, like, if I climb like shit on this thing, like I'm it's just, you know, it would just be a real bummer. And, and, um, luckily that didn't happen. I mean, I did it in like 30 minutes and I just blew myself away and it was just like the perfect start to mm. the trip. Wow. And, um, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it was like, it, it I, you know, I went on the trip very much just unknowing like what it was going to be like. And, and I left doing everything, that I wanted to do. And, you know, I left one project that um, was kind of like this low start thing that I would love to go back for, you know, but again, you know, again, like, like having said, like I've done Waco, that's, that's like, there's still so much, Mm -hmm. as you know, I mean, as everyone knows, I mean, if you just turn another corner, go in another hole, you'll find something, another epic boulder. Um, But yeah, yeah. I, I went there very nervous and I left, like with a very much like a feeling of of success and and it's it's just been very motivating for me because uh, I'm going back to South Africa this summer and there's things that I've tried in the past that I think you know had I not had such a successful Waco trip I think I would have been a lot more nervous to try but um, yeah but I feel motivated and and excited and I think it was just a really good starting point like Waco's always been a place for me that's just very much fit my style you know. Uh, hard crimping, hard pulling, good feet, just like just big moves and 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 a style that I've just really enjoyed over the years. I mean, I've been going to Waco since 2003, I think was the very first trip I did to Waco. And, and I, I've never had a bad time there. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty special, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what is it about those lines that you love the most or that excites you the most like is it is it the line itself is it the movement is it the challenge for you in particular uh you know when you think about these climbs that you want to go back for in uh mm-hmm. in south africa and rocklands yeah what what is it about them is there a common denominator that connects all these things for you yeah i mean i think for me <clears throat> what makes climbing so amazing is just the uniqueness, right? I mean, every climb is so different from the last. And so, and then also too, like, right, like you or I, we go to a V0, we could just like, you know, 
climate like this, like just climate <laughs> totally wrong and we're still going to get to the top. Yeah. And so like, I think like, you know, I've, I feel like I've always just been like a very much like a perfectionist, like I, you know, with the house, with just everything in life. Like if I'm going to put my mind to it, I'm going to do it perfectly. And so um, that's what I love about hard climbing is that like when I'm trying something at my absolute limit, it's like, I can't, you know, you can't climb it wrong. You have to climb it absolutely perfectly. And so, yeah, that's just, that's just what's, that's what's always been like the driving force for me. It's, it's, it's never been like, oh, I've done, you know, X amount of climbs or whatever. It's, it's always like, this is a new challenge. And if it's really hard for me, I can't mess up. I have to do it. I have to, I have to pull on the wall and it has to just be perfect execution from start to finish. It's, it sounds like if I were to summarize what you just said, it sounds like seeking mastery is kind of the thing. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and, and I mean, that's, that's what's so cool, right? It's like everyone can seek mastery. I mean, you know, <clears throat> you can seek mastery at V5 and then, you know, you eventually work up to, to V6 or whatever, but like, I, you know, there's so like, we see this so, so much, right. With, with kids these days and, and things like that, where it's like, okay, I did one V10. Now I want to try a V11. Okay. I did a V11. Now I want to try a V12. And so, you know, I mean, obviously there's nothing wrong with that per se, but, um, but, you know, I, I just don't think you, you really, you get that mastery when you approach climbing in that way. Mm. You know, like you said, the pyramid, right? That pyramid, that 8A pyramid, I mean, it's like, you know, it's always going to be a pyramid, but like if your pyramid looks like this, it's like, okay, sure. You can climb V11, V12, V13, V14 compression boulders. That's like this, right? the but, skyscraper. Yeah. Yeah, the Eiffel exactly. Tower. But then yeah. like, as soon as your pyramid looks like this, it's like, wow, you like, that's when I'm like, you're a good climber. Like, it doesn't matter if, if the top of the pyramid's V8, but your pyramid looks like this. That's that's so much more impressive to me than someone that has like a skyscraper that like did three V tens and you know two V twelves or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that breadth and that that well roundedness of being able to climb at the same grade across lots of different styles, lots of different rock types, mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, that's cool. Absolutely. I'm yeah. Mm -hmm. I've always been really attracted to that too. Yeah, I, I'm really. I think that's really cool, and you exemplify that. And I wanted to ask you this, like you've been, I've looked at your 8A, you have a beautiful pyramid, <laughs> perfect shape, <laughs> insanely broad. It's, I don't know, it's like 400 8As or something. And like two dozen V15s at the top of this thing. Um, you climbed your first V15 with Terramare in 2008. So you've been climbing mm -hmm. V15 for the last 14 years. And, you know, I assume that you'd maybe done a hundred or maybe 200 eight days and harder at that time, maybe even less. Now you've done over a thousand. Are you still getting better? I do, okay, yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I think I am getting better technically. Like for instance, like, you know, I like to think of like climbing as a book, right? Like, let's just say, we go out and there's a, you know, a weird knee bar on a climb and it takes an hour to figure out, but then you figure it out and you do that move over and over and over again and you send the boulder. That's like one page, right? That's like this new thing, right? You learned this new thing and it's, it's exciting and it's fun. And you're like, hell yeah, like I learned something new. And so 
I think technically, right? Like, I don't think it's impossible to digress unless, unless you quit climbing. Um, and so, um, yeah. So for me, you know, I think technically I'm just able to get better and better because I'm always learning, always finding something new, always figuring out a new way to kind of move my body on the wall that I can then bring to another boulder. And so, um, yeah. So, but then strength-wise, um, I think it's a very hard question to answer because I think strength-wise now at my age, I'm 34 now, I think I have to train harder to maintain the strength that like was easy for me to get at 24, 25. Um, yeah, I don't know, right? You know, it's it's so hard to say, right? Because like we don't we don't go back to boulders that we've done before. So you know, right, think, right. For a lot of reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's mental man, mental torture and anguish. Yeah. yeah, no one wants to deal with that bullshit. Like, <laughs> oh God. I mean, sure, you go back and send it first try, you're going to feel great. But the consequences of not are, are so much worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's never, a, it's never a direct comparison when you do either because the desire is not the same, you know, like... Mm-hmm. I've done that and I've made that mistake in the past. Like, oh, I love this boulder at the time. And like, I've, I've grown so much as a climber. Like, I bet I can just go back and cruise this thing. But like, no, I really wanted it at the time. I really dug deep yeah. for it. And I, I invested like everything in it and built my whole life around it for the month that it took at the time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not, it's not the same to go back and just like, oh, I wonder if I can just easily do this thing. No, it's not worth it. well man i I, uh yeah i like that analogy go ahead sorry oh i was just there was one example so perfect like my heart hardest flash to date is uh nagual in waco that's so sick dude oh my gosh (laughs) not like uh, basically imagine for people listening that haven't seen this thing it's a v13 imagine just like the most heinous moonboard problem on the sharpest little crimps you can imagine and that's nagual that yeah. yeah It's a good description. That's um, awesome. Yeah. So anyway, um, <laughs> I uh, I flashed that. I think it was two thousand eight or whatever. Um, and uh, it they put it in the rock rodeo in like twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen or something like that. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> really, really quickly, can you? Uh, I know what you're talking about, but can you describe the rock rodeo and what you mean by that? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the rock rodeo is yes, the rock rodeo is a climbing comp, an annual climbing competition in Waco Tanks, um, where each year they pick a series of climbs uh, on different mountains. Um, for the competitors to do to try and make it as fair as possible. They only give you the climbs the day of the event. And then you got to go out there and try to do them in your top six climbs, uh, just like a normal competition, uh, get added up. And, um, you know, whoever does the hardest climbs wins. Okay. So maybe you've climbed these in the past, but you don't, you can't go rehearse them because you don't know what they're going to be until the day of. Correct. Gotcha. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, they had, they had that one on the list and I was like, oh man, I was like, I can't fall on it. <laughs> Thankfully, I, I, re- I, re- I reflashed it. Sick. I That's mean, honestly, awesome. 
eight years later, I th- I think that's a flash again. <laughs> <laughs> Your two hardest flashes, same problem. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. And it's that's funny because awesome. I've gotten close to other V13 flashes, but that's the only one that I got. Wow. <laughs> well, you are clearly the master the master of that specific style. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, I love that. Yeah, I was gonna say I love that book analogy. That's really cool. And I'm just I'm just picturing like you in like a really plush library in Paul's vocabulary. His like his book of climbing technique is like the in- entire Encyclopedia Britannica or something like lining bookshelves and bookshelves and bookshelves like a 50 volume set or something with your thousand boulders. Um, I want to ask you this, like how important is it to you to try to push your grade at this point? You've done almost two dozen V15s. I know you've tried Mm -hmm. other V16s. I I think you um, recently did one that uh, Giuliano put up and you, you ended up downgrading it. Mm-hmm. So I know you, uh, you've kind of chased that grade or tried that grade. Yeah. What do you think it would take for you to level up to V16? And does that feel important to you? Um, yeah, I would like to. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, something that, that would be very important to me, I, I think. Um, and then also too, you know, to, to climb like a true one, it's, it, like something like hypnotized minds. I mean, that's something that I've tried a lot in, in the past and I did not succeed at. Um, so if I ever did that, that would be pretty phenomenal. Um, yeah, I mean, half of me, half of me is like, yeah, of course I want to do like the hardest, you know, boulders in the world. Um, but then again, too, you know, I have this other half of me that, like went through this this injury phase and everything like that. And it's it's like I'm loving climbing for climbing's sake. And uh, mm. you know, I, I can find a lot of enjoyment and and pleasure and still in doing any grade. Obviously the harder the better because you know it's that that mastering mastery of of that climb aspect. So yeah, I mean I think it's twofold. I think it'd be very nice. It would be very, very very cool to to do something of that difficulty that feels that difficulty to me. Mm. Um, and then, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see where my motivation is. I think I talked to Drew uh, Ruana the other day who wants to start going out and trying Hypno again. And I'm so, sick. yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, God, that kid is so freaking strong it's <laughs> yeah. just so yeah it is so impressive and so to see. psyched he is just yeah. so hungry mm-hmm. yeah. yeah it's impressive it's very very impressive to see so yeah um yeah i think you know i think climbing with him and and getting back to kind of climbing with just like super strong people again is going to be really really fun for me to to uh keep pushing myself and and try some really hard boulders it's mm. awesome um, are there any others, as far as that grade goes, any others at the top of the list for you that you have either tried or want to check out or seem most interested in? Yeah, I guess, I mean, I guess the only other one, I mean, obviously Hypno, but then um, that Poison the Well one. Okay. Brione. Uh, yeah, that one, again, another one that Giuliano put up and Jimmy. 
Jimmy did the second of. So, and he, you know, both of them called it V16. So, yeah, I would be nice to try again. That one's hard though with conditions. Mm. It's very humid in that like hole. Um, And then there's, you know, I mean, I I don't think I'd climb well on it, but the sleepwalker one Mm. would be just at least cool to try. But um, just kind of a boulder that I, I can almost tell that that's just like underkling superpower. And I'm like, <laughs> two things I'm not that great at. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, you know, it's always nice to try those things. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I, besides Hypno and and uh, and the other one, I, I don't think I've really tried any V16s, mm. any other ones. I mean, there, you know, there's like a lot in Japan and more going up in, in Europe and things like that. But it just seems like, Besides like Sleepwalker and things like that, I mean, it seems like a lot of these V16s that they're just going up and then within like two or three ascents, they're being called V15. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a, I got um, some questions for you from listeners. I want to come back to these later, but one person just said like, go do box therapy. I know you can do it. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. So that is definitely one nice. that I would like. That to seems do. like that would yeah, be your that- style. Yes. Yeah. That is one that I, um, yeah, that, that like basically like that was my goal. Like, but then I cut my leg. And so that was like kind of my summer goal for last year. I was like, I really want to just do box therapy. And so, um, yes, yes. Box therapy is one that I would say as soon as I get back from Africa, um, I'll probably put like a month in of training in August and then just start trekking out there. And hopefully do that this fall. Sweet. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah. that hike sucks. It's like <laughs> seven and a half miles just to get into it. Jeez. Oh, man. Yeah. You got to earn them in Colorado, don't you? Yeah, you really do. Especially these <laughs> days since you've done all the easy ones. Uh, not easy. Yeah. All, all the ones that are easy to get to, yeah. I should say. Yeah. Yeah. All the roadside yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. So I'm curious about that. You just said you'll put in a month of training. What might that look like for you to try to climb your hardest boulder ever? Is that just time in the gym, board climbing, hangboarding? Are you trying to climb, you know, quote, train on rock and find things that are similar style? Um, what, is, what might that look like for you, that month of training? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, it, 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 it's going to be a lot of indoor. I mean, in August, there's not really many options out there for for climbing in Colorado, I mean, you can go up to the Alpine, but use of time wise, like, you know, I mean, going to the, I, I don't know if you've been, I guess you have a Rocky Mountain National Park sweatshirt on, so you've been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, last summer actually was my first, uh, my first time there. I spent like two months climbing in, in Rocky and um, Veritas Sit was my first V11 actually. So I've spent Hell a lot yeah. of time at that Sweet. boulder and have like yeah, yeah. looked, spent a lot of time staring at the holds on Hypno, just having my mind totally blown. So that's been kind of sick. That's pretty, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> like this yeah, is no, it, Veritas holy is amazing. shit. Yeah. That's a, that's a really quality first V11. That's cool. Yeah, thanks um, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so it's, I think if it was more accessible, I would probably spend a bit more time outside, but um, I think use of time-wise, it it will probably make a lot more sense to just be in the gym. But yeah, board climbing. I mean, you know, I I try to climb specific to what I'm going to be doing, right? Like if I'm going to do a font trip, then I'm probably just going to be like bouldering in the gym because it's just, you know, a lot more kind of compression, sloper oriented. 
But like going to Waco or wanting to do box therapy, I mean, climbing on the moon board is, I mean, there's not really a better training that I could possibly think of. So yeah, and I, and I like to split that up. You know, I mean, I like to do obviously the board training and then uh, I like to do weighted hangs. I think weighted hangs are, are that's kind of something that I started probably only like three or four years ago, but oh, really? I've seen a lot of gains with. Yeah, yeah, weighted hangs are, are really nice. Um, and like also too, you know, I mean, like uh, it, it is a big load on the tendons, but it's a very like uh, safe load because, mm-hmm. you know, you're not, you're not like, like weighted climbing. I don't think I'd really would do that much of, or I mean, I, I don't think I'd do any of it, but um, I like the hangs because, you know, you can, you can just kind of grab the hold exactly how you want. You can be as warmed up as you need to be. And then just kind of like slowly engage on the, on the edge. Um, yeah. So weighted hangs on just like really small holds, lots of pull-ups. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then probably like a small bit of rope climbing, uh, here and there. Um, I like to rope climb at least every other week. Um, not outside in the gym. I don't, I don't really like rope climbing outside too much. I, I get scared and I don't know. Okay. It's yeah. a whole pro it's just a process. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like working things on the rope. Like when I fall, I like to be on the ground and like just sitting in a harness. It's yeah, I don't know. To each their own. <laughs> uh, well, I'm curious though, what does that do for you? Like why why does that feel important for you to include in the gym every other week? I just kind of have like a baseline. Like like it like I kind of feel like for me, if I can get if I can go to the gym and just like on-site 13 A's, 13 B's, you know, maybe a 13 C here or there. Like that's like this just great base level where it's like, I feel good. And that's the endurance that I don't need more endurance than that for basically any boulder that I would try. And it's, and it's kind of like really the only cardio that I do whatsoever besides hiking. Um, and so yeah, I, I, you know, it's, 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 I never, I'm not pushing myself when I'm rope climbing. It's kind of, you know, I think that's rope climbing is just such like a yin and yang to bouldering. And, mm. and I have so many friends that I'm like, man, dude, if you just got to like a base level of 13A, like you would climb your V11s and V12s so much faster. Hmm. And so, but you know, no one listens to me. They're like, well, they're like, I just want to boulder. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's interesting. What is it that you see with them that you think could be fixed by adding just a little bit of sport climbing in? Is it is it they're like, are they failing at the end of these longer boulder boulders on the easier moves? Like they've gotten through the crux and just falling off the easy part, or is it just the way they're moving? What is it that you're noticing? Yeah, yeah, the stamina. Okay, you know it's. It's it's twofold, right? It's falling at the end of boulders, and you're, you know, but then it's also, you know, it's the ability to put in. Let's just say, you know, you go to your project, and the crux is at the end. Like maybe you can only try it three or four times in a day, but like if you have a base of endurance, maybe you can try it five or six times in a day, right? And over the course of three sessions out there, you get, you, you gave yourself an extra session, Mm, right? So like that would, it would, what would normally take someone four sessions, like four sessions, 12 tries. Like I, I could do 15 tries in three sessions. Gotcha. And so, 
Yeah, right. So like the ex- good tries, you know, I mean, obviously you keep trying, but I'm talking about like progressive tries. And so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a huge deal on something that you can only try a couple of times over the course of the day on like your absolute project. And then also too, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's the endurance and then there's power endurance and there's power. And so, um, like they, you know, they all kind of overlap each other, but like, you can you can have a lot of power and then have like a little bit of power endurance but then if you have that good endurance and you have good power like they kind of kind of almost mesh together and yeah it's you know it's it's like i've seen it so many times like where i go climbing outside and a friend does the crux like over and over again and then they climb in from the bottom and it's just like fall fall mm. fall and it's like well clearly you know there's something missing here yeah, usually, uh, I mean, I you can chalk it up to to being um, you know a power endurance or or endurance uh, kind of failure at that point because you know if you're doing the move every single time, then you know what's what's holding you back. Mm. I imagine with you, in addition to having this incredible breadth of movement vocabulary experience under your belt with all these boulders, you you must have some of the best rock climbing tactics in the game, just from being out there doing it so much. Are there any things that you find are important or helpful for you to do that you see other people getting wrong or see other people not mm-hmm. doing when they're out there trying to send their their bouldering projects? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, you know, a lot of people listen to this podcast. So like a very beginner mistake is like, you see it all the time. It's like just starting from the bottom every time. And that like, it's it's impossible <laughs> to climb at your peak if if that's uh, the way that you're approaching a climb. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, for me, it's it's just all about breaking down the climb and and creating overlapping sections. And so, that might be five sections when you start working the boulder, um, but if they're overlapping then the boulder's possible, mm. right? And so, and so that's really important, right? You, you, need to, you need to make sure to have these overlapping pieces because again, right? Like it's like you do a hard move and then like, let's just say you have to do like a really hard foot switch after that hard move. And it's like, okay, well, if I start, like if I start from the bottom and I climb to this and then I fall like doing the foot switch, but then I pull on after the foot switch, now all of a sudden there's like it's kind of like the small missing missing link, this missing piece that um yeah, I just see I see that way too often, right? Where it's like, okay, well, you should be starting here, you should do the move, you should do the foot sequence and then climb it to the top. And then now all of a sudden you have this overlapping like sequence where it's where it, it's it, it it functions together, right? They don't they don't, there's not this break in the sequence. And so I think that's really important is thinking backwards. And then, gosh, I pretty much always work climbs from the top down hmm. um, when I break it into sequences. Like if I'm not trying to flash a boulder, I won't, I won't, I mean, I won't try the start until I'm ready to almost like go for sense. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, like hypothetically, right? Like there are boulders where, the crux is the first move or something and it's like different or whatever. But I'm just saying, you know, standard boulder problem, pull on the wall, climb a couple moves, crux, the top of the boulder or whatever. And so 
yeah, I mean, I might, you know, I might start working a climb, uh, do the top, do the top out, make sure that's all good, work the crux, and then not even try the first moves that day whatsoever. Um, but yeah, but again, too, another thing that that I see a lot is people that um, that they're like, oh, the top out's easy. <laughs> yeah. And you're like... Famous last words. <laughs> oh, dude, I don't uh, care if that top out is V0 minus. I'm doing it five times. Mm, that's great. Yeah. Oh, I... Yeah, I... It, it's not worth it. Right? You know? It's just it's a really not, stupid like, reason to to fail is to punt oh, off the easy top out of your boulder because you don't know what the hell you're doing up there. I, exactly. It's like makes my skin crawl to see that. Yes. Yes. Oh, and it happens. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm sure you've done it. I've done it. Yeah. But it's like you do it once and it's like, oh God. Yeah, I know. It's It's crazy to me. Like I will, if I'm trying something that's hard and that matters to me, I will have done every easy move countless times. And if I can make that easy move a little bit easier, great. That's, you know, because that's the make or break sometimes. You know, I mean, sometimes you get through that crux and you're just like so pumped and so overgripping. And like, if you have that like just ounce of confidence that it's like, I've done this like so many times, just like, just do it again is you're just so much more likely to send. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks for that. That's super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, of all your climbs that you've done, I'm sure this is a very challenging question for you. As we've established, you've done over a thousand V11s and harder, but do any stand out? Like, are there, are there a few that you can think of that feel most meaningful, most memorable, most impactful, ones that have taught you the most? Any or all of those questions, um, I, I'd love to hear about that. Are there any that stand out? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, I guess I kind of have like a somewhat of a list. I've, I've definitely been asked a similar question in the past, but it's a good question. Um, you know, I think for one, yeah, I mean, I think lucid dreaming was one that just very much like put me on the map as like, you know, one of the, the, the strongest boulders out there. And, and that was kind of like a turning point for me in my career, uh, in a lot of ways. And then, and then also too, you know, meaningful in the sense, you know, meaningful doesn't have to be good. I mean, you know, I, I got a lot of flack for that one. And, and that was also like another thing that, that turned me on to, to filming everything because back then it just like, it wasn't a thing, you know? And it was like, I mean, you know, there's no footage of Fred doing Terra Mare. Yeah. And so... Can, can you expand on this? I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm actually... This, this is somewhat yeah, news so, to me. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you know, like I... It was t- 2008 or 2000... No, 2009 when I did Lucid Dreaming. And bouldering, uh, filming. Um, it was a very different sport back then. Uh, than it is today. And and so I was out there with the Real Rock crew and um, they were filming me trying Lucid Dreaming and I was getting really close. And it just like, yeah, they, we were like out there for like eight or nine days and it just kind of like turned into this weird thing where like 
all of a sudden they were like, yeah, like, you know, our wives are pissed and we have to go home. So here's a camera. And I'd never used a camera in my life. They're like, here's a camera, just like film yourself. And I was like, okay. And so like, I just, yeah. I mean, like it was, it was just like this very kind of like weird thing where it was like, I felt like almost like I didn't want to film it in a lot of ways because I was like, what is like, this is insane. Like they wouldn't like Chris Sharma's like close on to 516 or whatever. And they're like, they're not going to just bail. <laughs> and so like, you know, I was kind of like, this is like just such a weird situation. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, again, like filming like this whole like uncut thing, it wasn't even a thing right, back then. Like right. it was just like, everyone was just like climbing and, you know, it was such a small community that there was no, there was no like flack if you didn't have like footage because no one really did. Like no one owned cameras. They were so expensive back then. Like, or like we didn't have iPhones back then. And so, I mean, at least like that could shoot any good quality footage. Um, and yeah, you know, I mean, you know, I was like, I was there alone in Bishop and, and like Wills Young was like kind of helping out. And then also, uh, Maddie Hong was helping out too. And, and the morning that I did it, you know, I like, I called Wills, didn't know, he didn't pick up, called Maddie, he didn't pick up. And I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to go out there because like a storm was kind of coming. And I was like, I want to get this thing done because I had to go back to, um, see you Boulder. Like I was already missing class, but I was like, I'm so damn close to this thing. Like I basically done it like multiple times. And so I, was I mean, like, there's I footage in that, in that real rock segment, the hardest moves. I love that segment. And there's footage of you, yeah. like you couldn't be getting closer. It's like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So then, um, yeah. So basically, you know, I, I called them up, didn't get a response. And I was like, you know what, dude, I'm just like, I'm just going to go out there. And, you know, I left messages and I was like, you know, I'll be out there. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. So, I mean, I drove out there and it was like, it was, it was exactly what I needed. Like, have you climbed in the buttermilks much? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Uh-huh. So the buttermilks is really interesting, right? Like it's very glassy. Right. And it being such like a dry place, like it's like, I mean, I remember like licking my fingertips like before <laughs> I would pull on the wall because like, yeah. I, I just like could not get anything out of that left hand. And, and it was like kind of like the perfect situation, right? Like there was this this actual humidity in the air, which is something like in the Eastern Sierras that you never get. And so, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I remember, I, I either like had a rope, I think I had the rope set up up there. Yes, I did. And so I kind of pulled it around the corner and I was like, well, if I do this thing, like, you know, I, I'm just going to like, I like attached my harness to it. And I was like, I'll just pull the harness up and, you know, wrap off or whatever. And so, yeah, so I just basically like just got it all set up and like I got all the pads out and it, like I started kind of climbing on it a little bit. And yeah, I just, you know, it, it was in some ways, like I, I'm obviously kind of, you know, still pissed at myself. I'll kind of get into that later. But like at the time, you know, it was just like, I just want to do this boulder. And so like, I didn't go to the car. I didn't get the tripod. It was like, I was just like, I don't want to like waste my time with this when like I knew that the rain was coming. And so, yeah. So, you know, I, I just, I was, I was the only person in the buttermilks. I remember there was one truck 
Um, you know, maybe there was someone else somewhere else, but uh, there was like, you know, no other cars on that road. Again, a very different place than it is today. And um, yeah, and, you know, and I set the pads up and and I just climbed it, you know, and I got onto that upper slab and I was like, it was kind of like, what's the difference? It doesn't matter if there's crash pads down there or not. <laughs> like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna die either way. And so, yeah. yeah, you know, I remember, you know, I just remember just like this, like very faint drizzle, like climbing that slab and just being like, oh my god, get to the top. <laughs> and I was so glad that I attached my harness mm. because, um, because like once I got to the top, I was like, oh. I do not want to down climb this in the rain. And so, yeah, I just wrapped off and then got back down. And then like I drove out to service because it was raining at that point. And I drove out to service and um, I got a hold of uh, Maddie and Wills. And then they drove, I was like, I did it, dude. Oh my God. And like, they were all super stoked and they drove out and the rain stopped. And then Josh, like uh, big up production, Josh, I told him too. And he's like, all right, well, dude, like you got to like, you know, redo the top and everything like that. And I was like, yeah, sounds good. And so, um, so like, I, like, I just like redid the crux move like a couple of times and, and it felt great. And we got great footage and I, I like redid the crux move, climbed it all the way to the top, redid all that sequence and everything. And like, you know, Maddie and Wills were all stoked. And then, yeah, basically as soon as I got back to Colorado, like it just became this thing that was like, well, you know, how can, how can someone do something like that and not like have spotters or, or mm. uh, filmed it or whatever. And, oh, I hate, and I, I think hate that <laughs> that sucks. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it, it was a very dark, dark time for me for, for a long, long time. Um, where, you know, it was, yeah, I mean, in the moment, like we've all been there. It's, it's so annoying. Like I, I film because like it's good for, for my YouTube channel and stuff like that. And like, I like making videos, but like, do you think I like walking to my tripod, clicking record, walking back and climbing? No, it sucks. Like, yeah. like that, it, that is like the last thing I want to do. And so... Yeah, it's distracting too. Like you get used to it, but um, I remember when I very first started filming, which was probably like 2012, maybe. You know, with like a little um, point and shoot camera that I had with sh mm -hmm. crappy little video on it. I found it really distracting. I, I, I remember I was trying to do, I think it was maybe my first V10 or something, and I was trying to get footage. And like, I think early on I had to end up like trying it without just cause it was, I was too self-conscious. I was like too, yeah, too concerned about what my camera was doing and how I looked and what I was doing. I was like really self-aware all of a sudden of like just how I was behaving and yeah, yeah. It, it can really, it can really take you out of the moment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean, this was, this was like, I mean, nowadays, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal whatsoever, but I mean, this was a 5D Mark II. So like I would have had to like change ISO, which at the time, like, I wouldn't, I had no clue how to do that. And it was just like, it just wasn't the time or the place. And like, obviously, I'm incredibly proud of myself for, for climbing the boulder. And like, that's, you know, who cares what other people think? But like, man, if I could go back in time, but again, you know, right? Let's just say I went back in time, you know, it, it took me 15 minutes to set it up and it was raining. Like, mm. maybe I wouldn't have done it. 
Wow. Yeah. So, but yeah, no, I mean, it became this big thing. Um, I think it was like Brett Lowell, Josh's brother that like, kind of like just at the premiere started making some like, like, oh, well, we don't know and we don't know and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. And then just, you know, it just, it was like this huge storm of doubt for, for years. And, and also too, I mean, that was a massive driving force for me. You know, I mean, after that, it was like, went to South Africa, second ascent of monkey wedding, went to Europe, second ascent of story of two worlds, did dream time, did like, went to font, did everything hard in font. And it was like, I was just like, I'm going to, I'm going to prove to you that like, yeah, that was a hard boulder, obviously, but like, I'm, I'm, I can do every other one in this whole world and like, I'll get footage of it. <laughs> like, I, I don't, you know, it's like, I don't, obviously I don't need to prove anything to anyone, yeah. but it was like, I want, I want to prove that like every single person out there that had doubt, like I'm going to do everything in my power to climb every other hard boulder and like do them fast. Mm. You have. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You've done that. <laughs> yeah. Well, man. Yeah. 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 Damn, dude. I didn't, I didn't know about that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, it, and you know, it's, it's, it's been a real bummer too, in a lot of ways, you know, I lost a lot of friends through it. Um, and yeah, it, you know, it's, it, it was, it was really a bummer, but you know, again, like, right. We're talking about climbs, memorable climbs, you know? So I think mm. we should leave it on a, a positive note. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, what else you got? Yeah. So, so <laughs> there's this one climb in font called Total Eclipse. Not the hardest climb in the world. It's a V12, and not the be- not even the best climb in the world. You know, sometimes people say, you know, what like what are some you know some of your most memorable climbs or whatever, and I say Total Eclipse, and they're like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's a great boulder, but it's like it's interesting. Like you start on another boulder. And so, you know, it's a whole thing. It doesn't matter. Watch a video of it and it's cool. So anyway, growing up, I, I loved, like Dave Graham was like my hero, right? You know, I was this little skinny kid. I was from the East Coast too. And like, you know, I was always like, you know, obviously every kid that started climbing when I started was like, they loved Sharma, you know? I mean, everyone did. Like he's, he's, he's insane. He's amazing. But like, for me, it was like, I was like, man, like, that's sick. Like Dave is out there. Like, because like my whole childhood, you know, I would compete and it was always like just these bigger kids, you know, like Ethan, Ethan Pringle and stuff. Like they would just kick my ass in competitions because they were just like bigger. They had muscle, they had mass and like, they just could climb like so strong. And so, and so I was just always like, man, that's sick. Like, I love how Dave, like, just doesn't let those boundaries affect him. And so I was always just like, he was just always like my hero. Like, and so at any time, like a video of Dave would come out, I would just like watch it over and over and over again. And so, um, you know, two climbs that are very meaningful, one of which is Spectre, which is one that Dave put up in, in the pollen grains. And, uh, and then also this total eclipse boulder, because yeah, I... I, I can just picture it, right? Like we have this little, this TV in in my house and um, I would just sit on the floor like three feet in front of this TV and I'd put, I'd put in 
like dosage, I think it's dosage two. Yeah, dosage one is where he does, Dave does Spectre. And dosage two is where he goes to font and he does like a whole rampage in font. But it was always like total eclipse was like this climb that like, you know, I was like 14 years old. I'm like, I'm never going to, I'm never even going to go to Europe. Like, you know, maybe I'll go like on a trip, you know, one day in the future when I'm older. It was like, and so, yeah, I just remember like my very first trip to Font, I, um, I was like, okay, like I want to do Total Eclipse. And I remember going out there one day and we went out there with, with, uh, my friend Luca, who's like a font local. And uh, and I did like the stand start eclipse, which is just a phenomenal V9. And, and I started working the low moves. And at the time we were filming for Schengen, the Schengen Files video. And so like we were, you know, we were just like constantly filming and it was, you know, it was great and everything, but like, you know, it, it takes its toll. And so uh, I remember it was like, I took a rest day and, and um, my partner at the time, she... I don't know. She didn't want to go for some reason. And so I was like, oh, it's, that's cool. I'm just going to go out there. And so I, uh, I remember like I just carried like two, two like small crash pads and like I walked out, walked out to, to Total Eclipse and like just no one there. And like I'm like kind of warming up on it. And I just had like one pad at the, at like the, the roof crux and then one more pad at like the, the last final hard move. And, um, and, you know, I had no camera, anything like that. And then all of a sudden this French guy comes over and, um, you know, he spoke a little bit of English and, and he was like, you know, do you need another pad or anything? And I was like, I was like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. And I just like pulled on and like, he kind of spotted me at the end and I just like climbed it just like perfectly. And it just has like, yeah, like you should go watch a video. Like it just, you like kind of like get this side pull and you get this really high smear and you just do this perfect like stand up move over this lip, just perfect font boulder. And um, yeah, it was, it was just, I, I, that's a moment that I will, I will never forget, mm. you know what I mean? Because watching that as like a 14 year old kid was like, it just felt so so far off. It was like, you know, at 14, I was climbing like V5, right? You know, it was like, I was just like V12. Like, this is like, there's no way. And so, yeah, it was, that was, that was a very special moment. Just being, climbing that and just becoming full circle in a lot of ways. And it was, it was just a moment that I was just very proud of. Mm. And like, not even remotely close to the hardest thing I've ever climbed, but something that like stands out as, as like this just testament. That's awesome. I love that story, man. Thanks for that. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll be sure to, I'll be sure to find a video and there's, <laughs> there's no footage of you on this thing. There's no. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. I'll find, no. I'll find some videos of that climb to share for people. Yeah. Yeah. Dosage two, Dave does it. Okay. And then I'm sure, I'm sure if you go on YouTube, there's probably a billion videos of it. Let's get into some questions from listeners. I got some really good ones for you. Mm -hmm. um, I'll start with some questions that I got from Nick. Nick wrote in and, and wrote two questions, one silly and one serious. First off, if you could climb one climb, one boulder for the rest of your life, what would you choose? 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's expand that. I'd I know. Probably, I, I think that's like. I'd probably get pretty bored for <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe like hypnotized minds because I know it would take me a ton of time. And, and then when I did it, I'd just be like, well, I retire. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'm not yeah, going to do it I again. That's my answer. Yeah. yeah. Hypnotized minds. Um, what, about, um, what about one area, if you could only climb in one area for the rest of your life? And, and why? Like, is it because Probably there's font. font and blue? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's the best. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Undeniably. It's so perfect. And I think it's it's really special too because, I mean, you can climb there. Kind of like what we were talking about before. You know what I mean? I think Waco is kind of a place that the older you get, the harder it's going to become to like climb well. Whereas with Font, I mean, there's there's everything. I mean, there's V11 boulders that are less than vertical. Um, God. And so... Yeah, Duel. I mean, that's like kind of the famous one. It's a, such a sick climb. But um, yeah, it's 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 so expansive. It's it's just such a special place. And um, yeah, I mean, I could I could see myself just moving to France, trying to learn some French, and just climbing in Font for the rest of time. Nice. Yeah. Plus, it's just endless. If you sent everything, you could just get on that Charles Albert program and just start climbing without your climbing shoes. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, plus he's put up some super hard ones I could try. Yeah. Uh, This is also from Nick, and this taps into uh, a more serious topic that I wanted to talk to you about. Nick writes, you recently posted about some mental health challenges that you've been working through. It was amazing to see that level of honesty and vulnerability from a pro. I think it sets a really great example. How has the response been generally? And do you feel like discussing it publicly has helped you with your process? Um, yeah, so the response. The response, uh, yeah, very, very good. Um, I know negative whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I think the only, <laughs> the only negative that I've had has been like family oriented negative. You know, I mean, I, I remember telling my mom and my mom, you know, I think, I think in a lot of, and I think that this is very true with like a lot of, uh, a lot of people now that I've kind of like immersed myself in the world. Like there's this app called Alike that's just like, just for people that are struggling with, you know, depression, anxiety, autism, et cetera, that kind of just like write in. And, you know, a lot of people, I've, I've kind of like read some posts throughout the app uh, where they've talked about like, you know, their parents not wanting to get them tested or not believing it or saying, oh, you're too smart to have uh, ASD, autism spectrum disorder. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I, I think that's just because I think A, you know, parents and things like that grew up in a different, just a very different time than we did. But also too, you know, I think it's hard for uh, relatives to accept, uh, you know, that that they were, you know, part of, I hate to use the word cause, but, you know, Mm. you know, my mom and my dad created me, right? And so, you know, I think my mom maybe, you know, it's, it's hard for her to kind of accept that. And so, but like, but the climbing community as a whole has been um, extremely supportive. And also too, it's been really nice to open that dialogue in a lot of ways because, you know, I got uh, diagnosed with uh, social anxiety, 
general anxiety disorder and um, like uh, high functioning autism back in November. And since November, I kind of just debated uh, whether or not I was going to talk about it because, you know, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't want people to think of me differently or see me at the gym and, you know, like, uh, think like, oh, you know, you know, like we have to be nice to Paul because, you know, he's going through X, Y, and Z. And so like, you know, I, I held it back, you know, I only told my absolute closest friends, um, like that I was, I was going, and then, you know, obviously my partner, who, you know, she, I mean, she's the reason that I, I even found out that that was a thing. Like I kind of wrote it in the post, but for those that didn't read the post, um, she worked at a children's autism center and she'd come home and she would tell me about uh, the kids and the troubles and the, the, the things that they would do to cope with, with uh, difficult things and things like that. And I was just like, oh my God, like... I am those kids. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. you know, I wanted to ask you that reading your post. Um, that that really was fascinating to me and is fascinating to me. Can you give me examples? Like what were the things that she was describing about these kids that felt like deja vu to you, that felt like your childhood? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, so for one, like one thing that um I never really quite understood. Um, was like I was non-vocal until three, um, which is very, very characteristic of uh, autism. Um, and my mom, she she was like, "Oh, you had you had uh, ear infections when you were a kid, and that's why you didn't speak." And so, um, I guess like I kind of created my own like little sign language. And again, like another very like like the kids at the center, like the the non-verbal uh, ones, they. Um, they like kind of have their own way of communicating that isn't uh, talking. Um, so yeah, so that was kind of like one thing. And then like, um, I really struggle with change. Um, like, it, you know, it's, it's funny because like, you know, I travel and I go on all these trips. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> you should see me the day I go to the airport. I'm just like in a panic attack mode. Wow. And it's like, okay, we got to get to the airport. Like we have to get there. And like, if something changes, like the flight gets like canceled or something, like I have like an unusual amount of like inability to like deal with that. Hmm. Um, and that's just really, really, really hard. Just any change. And then also too, you know, it's funny, like talking to my mom after this diagnosis, she was like, your brother was so easy but anytime anything had to happen that was like change, like you would, you would just struggle. <laughs> I remember like when I was a kid once I like, uh, was learning to like, I was taking, uh, ice skating lessons and like, I progressed enough to go to like the next teacher. And like, I just remember it was, I, it was like just so traumatic. I just like cried for like, I, I, cause I just didn't want to, I was like, I feel, you know, it's like, I have my things that I feel very, very comfortable with. Um, and so that like, they, you know, that's a very, another kind of like thing that like, uh, is characteristic. Like, you know, I have, I've got like, kind of like my OCD tendencies. Like, you know, I have the specific shirts that I like. I've got the sweaters that I like. I have the pants that I like. And I have like eight pairs of the same pants and eight of the same shirt. 
and like eight of the same sweatshirt. And like, it's embarrassing. Like, like someone complimented my sweater the other day and Lizzie was like, oh, he has three of those in gray and three of those in blue. And I'm like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, babe. Because, you know, yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs to know that. Um, but yeah, you know, just, just very things. And like, just being like very, um, uh, like, like I can't, like, it's very hard for me to be in like, uh, like go to a bar or something like that. There's so much noise mm. and, and talking. And it's just so overwhelming that like, if I like go out for a night or whatever, and I'm like in a bar for two hours or at a restaurant for a couple hours, it's like, I get home and I'm just like, I need silence. Like, and that's, Yeah. That's really tough. And like, and also too, like another thing, like I hate, like I really don't like being touched. And that's like another thing that like a lot of these kids deal with. Like they don't, you know, like if my partner like gives me a hug or whatever, cool. Like I'm okay with that. But like, like touching, like if someone touches my face and things like that, like I really, really struggle. And then also too, like with the autism, like there's a lot of uh, social anxiety that kind of goes into that because like the way that like an autistic brain functions is that you, in a lot of ways, like what you're doing is called masking. And like, you don't understand, like, I have like a really hard time with eye contact. Um, But like, I try and do it because like, in my mind, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I've been taught. Like, you do eye contact, because like, that's what's normal. But in my brain, I'm like, constantly like, well, why, why do like, why is that normal? Or like, you know, it's like, I'm just like, have this, this constant social anxiety of like, oh, like, if I'm in a conversation, like, I just fear the idea of, um, like, dead time, you know, like, mm. with no talking. And so, like, you know, I'm listening to someone, but then at the same time, I'm, like, trying to think of, like, oh, well, what, what, what's a good question to ask them next? And things like that. And it's just, you know, it's a whole thing. I know everyone struggles with, with social things at times, but, like, but, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's been good in a lot of ways. And, and it's also been, like, weird in a lot of ways too, because, you know, I spent 30, 33 years of my life just kind of like the whole time just being like, oh, just why aren't, just be normal, Paul. You know, like someone would be like, oh, you want to come to a party? And I would just be like, uh, uh, like, and I'd be like, and I, and then I just wouldn't understand. I'd be like, why can everybody else go to parties? And then like, I think, of, I even think about the idea and I'm like, my anxiety is like an eight out of 10 and I'm like about to have a panic attack. And so, um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, and in that sense, like, it's kind of nice because I've been like, okay, you know, like, at least there's a reason, you know, my brain just functions differently. And, and that's not to say like, I'm not smarter or, or, you know, or, you know, as smart or, uh, as functional as other people. It's just, there are things for me that, uh, a lot of people don't struggle with that, that I have, you know, a very hard time with. Um, and so, and then also too, you know, it's, it's been good, but then it's also been bad too, because it's been like, damn, like, you know, I wish I had the ability to, um, to be able to go to things, you know, I mean, like, you know, Lizzie, for instance, she loves like going out and hanging with friends and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's just really hard, you know, because it's like, I just get so overwhelmed and like, and again, oh yeah, and then another thing like with autism is like hyper 
focus on like a very few things. So like, you know, I can talk about climbing. <laughs> I can talk about surfing. Um, I can talk about building my house. And I can talk about making videos. If you can't relate to those four things, <laughs> I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to be like, well, uh, it was cold today. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have for you. <laughs> Man. Well, it's, this is fascinating. I think it's, um, I think it's so cool of you that you shared it because it, it's just such a, powerful reminder for me. Like I, I just would never guess that talking to you today, like having seen a lot of your videos mm -hmm. and having, you know, s seen you on other people's films as well and listened to some of the other interviews and things. I, I would just never guess that. And it's such a powerful reminder that we just never know. We just never know what someone else is going through. And absolutely. I don't like, there's just, I, I don't know. I, I have this philosophy. I, I've never been let down by it, but just to go through life just choosing to give other people the benefit of the doubt and assume that they're going something going through something hard or something that you can't imagine or just having a different experience than you and and that it's not like if their behavior upsets you in some way it's not malicious it's, it's not because they intended to it's just like some some difference between the two of you and i don't know like probably some people out there are just crappy and negative or whatever but like you almost always there's a reason you know like i, I don't know yeah 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 not yeah, not absolutely just, yeah you know what i'm saying yeah i just no no of course of course i mean you know it's it's funny right you know i mean it's like everyone everyone struggles with something yes and it's, it's yes. you know it's funny for you to say you know i i haven't noticed that and it's like <laughs> i don't film the days that i just like lay on the couch like just mm. yeah and you know it's it you know it got to the point for me where it just got so, it just got so bad, you know, and, and I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I don't know what the catalyst was, but like, just like, I just got to the point where my anxiety was just so, so bad that I was like, I need to talk about this and I need to explore options because it was like, it was like, you know, I got the autism, you know, I, I knew I, I knew that I had a level of anxiety, but like, you know, until it was diagnosed as like, you have severe social and general anxiety. Um, you know, it was always just this whole thing in my brain, just Paul, just be normal. Paul, just be normal. Paul, don't be, Paul, don't think that way. Like, like, and you know, and so, um, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and so it's been, Last year was like the physical injuries. And then this year has been, um, it's been really, really tough mentally. Um, mm. You know, it's been really tough to kind of like, I've been trying, you know, I've been trying my absolute best to like get out and go climbing because, you know, that always brings me joy. But like, you know, it's, that's the side of like, you know, they always say, you know, Instagram shows the side of people that's like, you know, oh, Paul's in Waco. He's having a great time, you know? <laughs> But like, you know, no, Paul's at home laying on the couch, like literally like just like unable to do anything. Mm. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really, really hard. And so, but you know, I'm, I'm going to therapists and, and I'm, you know, I, for a long time I was very opposed 
to medication because I didn't really think that there was really anything wrong. I thought just like I just had to deal with it. And so I'm trying a medication now and and um yeah, yeah, I think you know it's just it's just my goal now to spread awareness uh because I think there's a lot of people out there. I mean, there's a lot of people, a lot of climbers that wrote to me that were like, I've always thought, you know, this and you know, how did you go about the process? And I was like, well, you know, I took this I took this test online and, you know, it was like, yeah, you should probably consult a professional. And then, you know, I saw a professional that that's, you know, what they do um, is diagnose people with, uh, you know, mental disabilities, et cetera. And, um, and yeah, yeah. Um, You know, I think, I think hopefully with this, it will open the doors to, to a lot of people and in realizing that, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, not just you going, mm. going through this and, and opening up that discussion. And, and, you know, I think, you know, I mean, uh, different, different in so many ways, but, you know, I think, you know, what, what was a really big thing for me was, you know, when, when Alex Johnson, um, came out as gay, um, I, I thought, you know, that was, that was huge. Right. You know and I mean? Just since then, like, there's been so much, like, so much just camaraderie in the climbing community in support of, uh, you know, I always get it wrong, LGBTQT, whatever, you know, the thing. But yeah, I mean, there's been so much support, you know, and and so much support for um, climbers of color and things like that. And, you know, these are, these are different in ways, but at the same time too, they're not, you know, it's, it's, it's mental challenges affect everyone. And, um, yeah, I I hope more people will be able to talk about it and, and be able to kind of like open up to, to something that our, um, our world has, has shunned in a lot Mm. of ways, right. You know, like that word, like autism, right. Like in a lot of ways, you know, it's like, you know, for me, like before I learned, you know, that I had it or, or what it really was, it was, it was always like, oh, I feel bad for, for, uh, someone with, you know, autism or, or someone with depression, you know, things like that. And so I, I just hope, you know, I hope that myself and, and others and, you know, like, like with, you know, Alex Johnson, right? Like there's no, there's no shame in any of this. Like, you know, it's just, we're all just trying to do our best. And we all, you know, you know, I mean, with our, within our community, we all love climbing. And, um, and I think, you know, I think we've gone leaps and bounds in the last decade uh, in acceptance of uh, color and, and sexual orientation and mental health and things like that. And so, yeah, it's, it's it, it it's it, it was very hard for me because you know you know it's it is easy to feel ashamed of things like that but um but if I can open up about it then I hope others can too. Mm. It's just awesome, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to learn about all this given your lifestyle, like given what you do, and and the fact that every single one of these 8,000 or sorry, 1,000 a days and harder is different. Like every climb is different. That's what makes it so appealing, but you're experiencing change all the time with every new location, with every new objective and destination and things. 
So I'd love to ask this, like you travel a lot. What are some of the things that you hold on to that help you feel grounded? If there's anything, like how do you, as far as like the practical, the practical, you know, the tangible stuff, like how do you do that? How do you carry normalcy with you as you travel? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I, and again, like, like I said, like with my, <laughs> with like the clothing I wear and things like that, you know, I have, I have like, I, I just have like a routine, right? You know, it's like, I know what is comfortable for me, right? Like, so, you know, I make sure to bring what I feel comfortable in and, um, you know, and like, like climbing wise, like, you know, there's a lot of people out there that love, you know, a stiff shoe for vert and a soft shoe for overhangs. And like, I wouldn't say that this is like even remotely autism related, but it's just the fact that I, I very much like cling to that comfort of, um, a similar, like just a similar nature. And so like, I wear one pair of shoes. That's all I wear. Sandstone, limestone, granite, overhangs, roofs, <laughs> like doesn't matter. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, that's like another way. And, and then, you know, I, I, um, I have like this shirt from my dad. My dad passed away like 12 years ago. And, and anytime I go on a trip, I just bring it with me. Just like kind of this special thing for me that like just makes me feel, just makes me feel comfortable. And uh, it's just always nice to have that. And, and um, yeah, and, and I, I always, I travel with people I'm comfortable with. I don't, you know, I, I, I have, I've got like some close friends that like, I feel like very much understand me, you know, and my partner, obviously. And yeah, but it is tough though. You know, like it's, it's tough to like leave your home and, and your bed and your fridge and, and your couch and like everything that, that like you just get used to. And I think that that's tough for everyone. I, I don't think that, you know, that's, that's just like a me thing, but you know, I try to, I have my panic attack day where I'm traveling and, and then like, you know, maybe a panic attack day once I get somewhere, but then, and, and I'm like, just like, there's this massive amount of change. But then, you know, it's like, you know, for me, I don't know. It's just stupid, stupid things like sleeping on the same side of bed, the same side of the bed that I sleep on mm. when I'm uh, in Colorado or like, you know, having the same gum that I like to have in my car in Colorado. Like I'll go buy a pack of that gum or something like that. Just, you know, or like, you know, and then the clothing thing too, just like having, having like as much of home as I can while I'm um, traveling. Mm. I'm going to attempt to make you feel more normal as far as the clothing goes. I mean, I live in a van and I have very limited uh, cabinet mm -hmm. space. So I've been wearing like the same pair of pants and this like Rocky Mountain hoodie for, you know, two weeks straight every single day, just <laughs> changing my t-shirt. But it's really funny. Like I actually... I really like clothing that makes me feel a certain way. It's it's not even mm -hmm. the style or the look of it. It's more like the way it feels. And yes. I, I yes. it's a funny social thing. Like um I read a book a while back. That I think it was I think it was about stoicism and they were kind of recommending or suggesting like trying this idea of buying like three of the same shirts and two of the same pair of pants and putting those in your closet and that's what you wear and that's all you wear and like you know, really simplifying it. And I was, I, I found that kind of attractive. And it was the first time that I had really considered like, oh, that's actually an option. If you find a pair of pants you really like, you can just buy more than one of them. 
<laughs> Isn't that funny? It's like, oh, I can do funny. that? Why, like, why do I feel weird about that? Why do I feel like that's not allowed? You know, you're supposed to have yeah, variety yeah. or something, but I'm gravitating more towards that. Like, what is the style that I like that makes me feel good, mm-hmm. that, that feels comfortable, but functional. And then just like yeah. triple down on that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. <laughs> I have, I have got like the pants that I like to wear when I'm climbing, when it's like, you know, 50 to 70. And then I have the pants that I like to climb in when it's 30 to 50. And those are like my go-tos. That's it. That's all I wear. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's funny because yeah, I mean, people are all about like variety and getting all this stuff, but you know, you should, I mean, if you saw my drawers, it's like six pairs of one pants and six pairs of another pant. And thankfully I'm sponsored by Prana, so I can do that. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. And then it's just like white t-shirts, black t-shirts, gray t-shirts, black pants, gray pants. I am so simple. That's awesome. Cause they all fit together in any combination you want. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. That's great. It's so easy. Yeah. It's like, I mean, like Steve, that's very Steve's jobs of you, you know? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I um I get really overwhelmed by decision fatigue, you know, especially now that I do the mm-hmm. podcast. And it's it's funny because like I do the same thing every week. I have a I like learn about someone, I invite them on the show, I have a great conversation with them, and then I edit it and I put it on the internet. Like it's the same process, but there's you know, there's a thousand little decisions that, um, that play into that process. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but, um, yeah, I, I always have gotten hung up on perfectionism and overthinking and like really putting probably too much scrutiny into those decisions. And so anytime I can do a little hack like that, like, like I cook the same meals basically every single day. And I use the mm-hmm. same, you know, I have like one pan, one deep dish that I use. Uh-huh. You can use it for uh-huh. soup or for stir fries or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I do yeah. the same thing every single day. And it's just like, it eliminates a bunch of those little stupid decisions that don't matter. Um, mm-hmm. But it it's a massive reduction of cognitive load for me. And it like makes a big difference at the end of the day, creatively and with my climbing and and all sorts of things. So um, you've inspired me to go buy more of the pair of pants that I'm wearing right now. Um, oh, you should. Cause I because love then, these pants and I, I hate it yeah. when they're dirty and I have to switch. <laughs> yep. No, no. And then the problem is, is they stop making them. I know like for me, my favorite prana pants, they stop making which ones. And like, uh, oh God, I can't even remember okay, the name. It doesn't right matter. Now. Uh, doesn't matter. Um, they stopped making them like two years ago. And so I stocked up like two years ago, but they're, <laughs> they're like, do you know the sutra pant? Like that kind of linen material? I think so. Yeah. Okay. It doesn't matter. But yeah, they're like, they're, they're this kind of like very thin linen material, but they, they made them like a straight leg, like a thinner leg. I'm, I'm skinny. So it's nice to wear thinner pants because other, I look, look, look like MC Hammer. <laughs> um, they, I, I know what you're uh, talking about. They kind of market them more as like their yoga pant, right? For guys. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they made like a straight leg, like a, a skinny leg version of that pant. Um, and I mean, obviously, I guess it didn't sell well or whatever, but I like stocked up on them. But the problem is, is that they're super thin. Mm. And so like, as I'm sure you know, Waco, et cetera, destroys pants. And so all of them, I think I have like two brand new pairs left, but like 
all of the other ones are just like holes in the butt, holes in the knee. And I'm just like, I look like a freaking hobo, but I'm like, I don't want to give these pants up. And I'm so bummed. And Lizzie the other day was like, what if you just like ask Prana if they could just like do a small run of them for you? And I'm like, I mean, I love, you I love totally that you totally ask that. them that. <laughs> but I don't think they're the, the Paul Robinson to. special, dude. Yeah, you, you gotta, you uh, gotta have the leverage to be able to do that. I know, I know. I mean, I can try. You should. I can try. She's like, you gotta try because those pants are getting pretty ratty. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if they don't if they don't go for that, we'll do a Kickstarter or something. We'll get you. Yeah. We'll get you more of those yeah. pants, Paul. I was just surprised because, like, I I was like, these are the best climbing pants, you know. Yeah. But, you know. Oh well. I was gonna ask this: What is your go-to pair of shoes, climbing shoes? Um. So they say so yeah, So I'm sponsored by Evolve, um, and uh, I was wearing the Oracle for a very long time. And so they kind of did like a like a, a combo. They took the, the the old shaman, which was like a little bulky and not to me. I to some people they loved it, but like it was just too bulky for me. I didn't like the toe box. And then um, they took the oracle, which was just like a very nice high performing shoe, and they kind of morphed the two together and just uh, they called it the the new shaman. And so it uh, it kind of has like. It has lower laces, so you can fit into it better if you kind of have that wider foot because the Oracle was a, was nicer for uh, narrower feet and the Shaman was better if you kind of had wider <clears throat> wider feet. So they kind of made the best of both worlds. Um, and it fits just like an Oracle, but uh, I think it allows a lot more uh, people to wear the shoe uh, because of like the laces going a bit lower and just like a bit easier to get on. Um so yeah, that's kind of been my go-to. The only downside was that when they brought the laces lower, the toe hook rubber went a little bit lower. And so I'm now like, I'm a little bit bummed because um, like I said earlier, like I really like to just have one shoe because for me, right? Like if I'm standing on a foothold, right? Like on a slab and I look at that foothold and I'm wearing like a shoe that I'm not super comfortable with. It's like, I don't know how that, that rubber is going to perform on that foothold. Whereas like maybe I'm wearing that Oracle and maybe it's not like the perfect shoe because it's like a downturned shoe on a slab, but like maybe, but I know exactly how to place my foot on that foothold for it to stay because I have years of experience wearing that shoe. Um, and so, yeah, so it's actually, like I was saying, going back to what I was just saying, is I, I think now I need to like find uh, something that will replace uh, be a replacement for toe hooking because in Waco, I was, I was really struggling. Uh, it was really hard for me because I mean, as you know, Waco is lots of toe hooks. Yeah. <clears throat> and so like the shallow ones were fine because the rubber goes high enough. But then as soon as you kind of like started getting to like this part of your, uh, foot, yeah, like there the was, that's just yeah. like, it was just laces there. And like, that's a lot of toe hooks in Waco. Um, yeah, I was just like really struggling with the toe hooks. Um, so yeah, things things to kind of consider like a new shoe, but also to maybe working with Evolve to to maybe find a way to uh, to make the shoe you know more uh, universal. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Mm -hmm. It's it's surprising to me. It's like really rare that you find high performance climbing shoes that have the toe hooking rubber go high enough for for most toe hooks. Mm -hmm. Like I'm surprised mm -hmm. by that. Like I climb in the Solutions a lot, 
And it happens a lot in Waco yes. where like the tow hook will catch right on the edge of the, yes. the top of the tow yes. hooking rubber yep. and like slowly peel it back and delaminate it. And Oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> yes, yes. No, it, that's a funny story actually. When I did the story of two worlds in Switzerland that has a lot of tow hooks on it, I took an old pair of solutions, got super glue, cut the patch off and then super glued the patch all, like further up the shoe. So that then I would have like way more toe hooking rubber and it made all the difference. No way. So you took an old yeah. pair, you like scavenged an old pair of solutions and glued that toe hooking rubber onto your new pair of solutions higher up. Yeah, basically like you know where that <laughs> first uh that first pull strap is? I just like glued it over the top of that. Wow. Yeah. It was really nice too, because then you don't rip the rubber and things like that. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, yeah. yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll have to yeah. try that. Because a lot of high-performance shoes don't. I think I think Scarpa does a good job at uh, like the those instincts. Those seem to be like a very nice like all-around um, kind of like all-around shoe that has enough toe hooking rubber. But I do agree, uh, Sportiva does not does not put enough um, toe hook rubber on that solution, mm. which is like obviously like their best-selling shoe too. So mm -hmm. a little revamp might be nice. I know it's hard, right? Like. Mm -hmm. it's, it, you don't you don't want to screw with a a shoe that everyone loves that's working well, but at the same time, it's like ah, it could be improved just a little bit, just a little bit. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Paul, if you have a few more minutes, I have a few more listener questions that we can blast through. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. This is from Andre. He had a few for you, so I'll just go down the list here. First, Andre wrote. Uh, first, I want to say that Paul has been a huge inspiration for a long time. The way his insane finger strength and footwork display in his climbing is just amazing. Also, he seems to be a lot more approachable and reasonable than other mutant pro climbers. So kudos for that. Um, does he think burden of dreams would suit him? I could be wrong, but it seems to me that it might be his style. And he plans to make some, mm. some effort on that one. Um, yeah, I mean, to a degree. I, I mean, obviously, I've never like touched it. But um, I imagine that it would suit my style to a degree. Um, that's a really hard one, right? Right. Like obviously it's an extremely hard climb. But I think the the one real dilemma is the weather. If I could, you know, I mean, obviously hypothetical, if I could be guaranteed a month of like 40 degrees and sunny with good wind, I'd sure as hell go there. <laughs> um yeah. but like, you know, having watched the Nale video and watching like, I mean, multiple seasons where he couldn't even try it. Mm -hmm. It's just like, yeah, I mean, Nale is, you know, top 10 best climbers in the world, right? Like how, how, from Finland, how can someone go there without like the utmost luck, right? Like, cause it's like, obviously you have to have the strength, which like, I mean, you know, there's maybe five, six, seven other people in this world that maybe could do the boulder. You have to have that strength. So you have to be in that fitness. You have to have like trained for that. And then you have to fly to Finland and then get perfect weather, which like, again, looking at that forest, like, I mean, that looks like more wet. That looks wetter than Squamish to me. Mm. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I don't know. I, it's like, Yes, I would love to try it. Do I actually see myself going and trying it? P 
Probably not, unfortunately. Yeah, it, it's really like you'd have to do what Nolly did and just live there and like plan your whole life around this thing for as long as it takes yeah. to do it. And Exactly. Yeah, and unless you show up with like, you know, V18 capabilities in that style. Yeah. And like two weeks of like perfect weather. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, which also too, you know, I mean, that's like another thing. I mean, like, you know, very quickly to hit on that. Like, I mean, you know, you're, you're in Waco and stuff like that. And I live in Colorado. It is really difficult to live somewhere. I mean, you know, it's, it's funny to like complain about this. It's really difficult to live somewhere where the conditions are constantly so good because it's so dry and it's like, there's always wind. It's always like 20% or below humidity. I mean, you could say the same thing about Waco in the winter too, right? And then all of a sudden you like fly to font and you're like, my skin is like raining, <laughs> right? Like yeah. it, it's, it is so funny because like you take all, you take like a really strong climber, like let's just say, I don't know, Jakob Schubert or something like that, who lives in Austria where it's like just generally a more humid climate. And so, you know, he, he, I wouldn't say he has an advantage per se, obviously he's very strong, but in some ways he does because like if your normal is like mediocre, then like, then that's what you train in and that's what you climb in. Then you go to the, you come to America and you go to the desert. You're like, this is amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But then the opposite, right? You know, it's like, I go to font and I'm like, oh my God, like I haven't felt this level of humidity. I mean, it'll be raining in Colorado and less humid than it is on a sunny day in France. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I'm the same way. I've been like spoiled almost my whole life as a climber. And I made one trip to the Red River Gorge and have never been back because I just, my skin was like wet the whole time. I got a bunch of splits because my skin was too soft. And I was like, I don't understand how anyone climbs here. And everyone's like, what are you talking about? This is good. Like it's not raining. It's not, it hasn't been raining while yeah. you've been here. And I'm like, wait, these are good conditions. Yeah. This is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it's funny to complain about that. <laughs> well, no, it makes sense. Like it, I'm, it makes sense that you would be so much more tempted or focused on these hard things in your backyard with those conditions mm-hmm. that you're used to versus like prioritizing this problem in in Finland that's going to have a lot more logistical complications that come along with it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, take for instance, uh, Bugalison and Maltitol, right? Like way, way easier. I mean, V14 from the stand. And I am the only non-European to climb that boulder. Wow. Because it has such, yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, like obviously V14 is hard. I don't want to, I don't want to negate that, but like, I mean, right? Like V14 is something that like a lot of people like, you know, can do very quickly. And like Daniel's tried it, et cetera. Like, I mean, and it fits his style super well. And it's just like, it is such a hard boulder to get the right conditions on. And even though it is just V14, it's like, yeah, everyone that's done it's European because of that exact reason, because it's like, they can go there. They don't have to be jet lagged and they can go there when the conditions are perfect. Whereas for us, it's just, it doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. 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 Whereas like for them, you know, they can come to Waco and it's like, they have a 99% chance that they're going to get perfect conditions the whole time they're here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. It gets me psyched. I'm just going to stay in the desert. Oh, that's, I that, love that's my takeaway. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love it. This is, oh, yeah. this is also from Andre. Andre wanted to know, which one of your FAs do you think is the hardest one? Uh, Kuroshi, Lucid Dreaming, any other? Mm. Yeah, again, right? Like we talked about this before, like we don't go back to boulders. Um, so, you know, I mean, Lucid, I could say Lucid could have been the hardest, but again, you know, I mean, that was 14 years ago. And if I went back to it now, I, I don't really know how it would feel. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd say Kuroshi is definitely up there. Um, Lucid's definitely up there. I think Meadowlark was, was up there before it kind of just got destroyed. Um, what happened with that one? Some of the holds broke. Yeah, and it got like someone wire brushed it oh, and like dang. yeah, because you can't wire brush that red rocks rock. And it got like basically like they, they made a new hold. Like what was like not a non-hold became a better hold. And it, it yeah, and unfortunately got destroyed. And then it broke, yeah, and things like that. But um yeah, yeah, I don't know. There's this one thing I'm working on right now uh in the South Platte that um it's like a V4. I, I, I did like the this one start. It's like V14 that I put up right before Waco. And it has like a low into it that you can do that probably adds like a V12 into that. And I'm, oh, yeah, I hope to do that this spring. And if I do, damn, that would definitely be up there with one of the, like the hardest things I've done. I mean, it took the V4. It drew, I was blown away. Drew did it the other day and it, it took him two days to do the, the, the 14 start. And I was like, wow, <laughs> I can actually still climb rocks that Drew doesn't flash. Yeah, that's saying something, man. Yeah, that guy, he's putting down V14 in about 15 minutes these days. Yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Um, yeah. Cool, does that one, do you have like names for your projects? What do you call that one? Um, yeah, I called that one The Other Side of Infinity. It's just like kind of a cool book about black holes. Um, but yeah, but most of my inspiration for, um, for climbs is like books, lyrics, song titles, um, movies, things like that. Like, you know, unless the climb like has something specific that it looks like, um, like this one really hard one I put up in South Africa, the Pirates Code. Um, that one, like it's just this massive ship's prow, kind of looks like a pirate ship, and so like that's kind of like where that came from. But, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, like you know, I I try to I try to be. Sometimes I'm just like dumb and make fun names up. But like with Kuroshi, Kuroshi is kind of cool because like I worked that for like a couple seasons and then finally ended up doing it. And so Kuroshi is the Japanese word to describe like uh working yourself to death um <laughs> like mm. and so i, I thought that was kind of like fun in a way um not obviously I, there was no disrespect whatsoever but like in the sense that you know sometimes it feels like when you're working a project like you're gonna work this thing till you die <laughs> i like that that's cool Mm -hmm. um, this is a question from Anna. Paul has traveled the world searching for new hard boulders to an extent that few people can match. What areas does he think have the most remaining potential? Uh, where's the next frontier for, for bouldering? 
Or do you keep it to yourself? Do you keep it? Do you keep it? <laughs> no. No. Um, I have not been yet, but I'm about to go, actually. Um, I think South America has a lot of potential. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to go check out this kind of small area. Um, I, I work, like Lizzie and I are going to Colombia in 10 days. And so I've always just been interested by Colombia. So that's kind of like the main reason for going, but I'm also going to check out this area. But I think Peru and Argentina and Bolivia, like, I mean, I've seen so much potential in those areas. I know Nale did an Argentina trip to Tuscle uh, that that looked phenomenal. And then there's uh, Valle de las Rocas in Bolivia that looks amazing. Um, and I know, I can't remember the names of the areas, but Peru, just, I've seen some granite boulders in Peru that just look phenomenal. Um, so I think, you know, I think South America is kind of like an uncharted terrain in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, a lot of people go to South Africa, a lot of people go to Australia, but like, you don't really hear about like the, any like big trips to, um, South America. And and, like, I did a trip to Brazil in 2014 and I know like Daniel and those guys went to Brazil in a couple years ago and they had like great success finding a ton of stuff. Um, so I'd say South America, number one, and then you know, for, for developed areas. So Rocklands is in what's called the Cedarburg mountain range. And that area runs north to south from basically Rocklands to, I don't know, about 50 miles or so to the north of uh, Cape Town. So it's about, I don't know, maybe 80 ish mile stretch of, of mountain range. I could be totally wrong, but, but like, it's insane. I mean, that's where I found my area that I did all my first descents. And, you know, all my South African friends have always, are just always sending me pictures. And the rock quality from north to south is just, there are pockets of bad rock, but like in general, it's just rocklands quality rock or better for 80 miles. <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty spectacular. I'd say that, you know, I mean, and then obviously the Grampians is closed now, but the Grampians is like pretty small. Um, it's very like kind of confined to this like one mountain range. And I'm sure there's a lot more, but in general, like most amount of first descents possible in an area that has been like really climbed in a lot, I would say would be the Cedarbergs. Mm. Cool. It's exciting. It's like, it's really amazing to think that there's so much still out there to be discovered you know it's it's really easy for someone like me who has this like overwhelmingly long list to-do list of climbs that are well well established like classics that tons of people have climbed i'm never going to get through all those you know so it's like not even really that high on my radar to like seek out a new area and, and and add my own thing but of course it is appealing and interesting and it's just it's just rad to hear that there's like still so much out there and there's i'm always fascinated by how much climbing there is in like very unlikely places it seems like there's stuff everywhere there's always something to find and, yeah that's true and add yeah i'll show you this i'll show this is for for all the people out there <laughs> we'll screenshot this and add it to instagram none of these have ever been climbed on wow i know those are like 30 feet tall <laughs> that's the cedarbergs yeah wow yeah, that's I will be climbing on those this summer. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Is, yep. is there a rock type that you get most excited about when you're looking at photos of a new area or hearing about a new area? 
Oh, I love sandstone. Yeah. I mean, you know, granite's great and all too. I mean, like, like the weight, like granite and Waco is like pretty amazing and stuff like that. But like, I just think sandstone in general, it's just so beautiful because in general, it's like you get what's there. Whereas with granite and limestone, there's always like, oh, you can smear here, you can smear there. But then with sandstone, it's like just these perfect sheer, like I'm just kind of Joe's is in my head, mm-hmm, but like mm-hmm. just these sheer walls. I mean, like, you know, you see like Beyond Life or something like that. And like, how does it get better than that? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, for me, aesthetically, I love sandstone. And then also just climbing on sandstone is just so special. The texture and the holds that sandstone makes. Like, I, I feel like you just get, you kind of get like a lot of like repetitive kind of holds um, with granite. But then with sandstone, you just like the runnels and I, I don't know. It almost just feels like you're climbing like on holds that were shaped uh, by like Ian at Kilter or something. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. First time I went to Joe's Valley, um, I'd climbed maybe for five years at that point, but mostly in Leavenworth, like mostly on granite, some in Squamish, some in other mm-hmm. parts of Washington. But I just remember rolling up and like rock can be like this, like rock climbing can be like this. I had no idea. I know. I had no idea. It's, it's like a board climb. There's just like perfect crimps, perfectly spaced apart, nothing in mm-hmm. between. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If you're not tall, it, sandstone is definitely a very difficult rock to climb on, um, you know, because you don't have those little extra spheres and stuff like that. But I mean, I don't think anyone can deny that like some of those, some of those lines are just so striking. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting question from Principal. I wonder about, I wonder this about many of the top boulders, especially Paul. How strong are his fingers? You know, max hang PR or one arm max PR, for example. How does he mm. quantify how strong his fingers are? I'm really curious where mortals stand compared to V15 fingers. My one arm hangs are like really actually not that good. <clears throat> um, but I guess, you know, if, if he's listening for reference, um, like, where, like at my absolute best, like my 20 mil pull, like if I'm doing like, you know, like the Exergio uh, little block thing that you pull down on. It's got like a like strain gauge in it or something. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, <clears throat> my best for that is like a little over body weight on each side. Um, yeah. I, yeah. It's, it's actually really interesting because my numbers aren't even like that impressive. I think what makes me good at climbing is like I have good finger strength i've got good power and then i just really know how to move on the ball Mm. i know how to make sure that like if i'm on a shitty hold like i'm on it the best way i possibly can be uh yeah like with my dead hang like or uh, my you know my hang weighted hangs like a five second weighted hang like 90 pounds added would be like my absolute best which like, I mean, it's fine. It's good. But like, I mean, I've seen, I saw Magos hold the center beast maker run with, with a 55 pound weight. On one arm. Yeah. 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 Which like, I mean, <laughs> dude, there's no way in hell I could do that. I mean, I, yeah, again, he's Magos. So not, <laughs> not try, well, not no, trying yeah. to compare. <clears throat> well, yeah. I mean, he, you know, he's, 
uh, I mean, I, th I think lucid dreaming is one of his hardest boulders ever and it took him a lot of days. So yeah. like, that is a pretty good, yeah. that's a pretty interesting comparison. Um, yeah. So you're saying yeah. like 90 pounds added for a two arm, like 20 mil max hang. Uh, yeah, 10 mil. 10 mil, okay, yeah. Well, like, I don't know, beast maker right and left bottom, which like I've heard 10, On the I've 2000. heard 12. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. I think they're, yeah. they are a weird size. They're like 12 or 13, but they've got a radius too yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They kind of round down. Because yeah. yeah, that's what I do my weighted hangs on. I do, uh, like I'll just do like the, the big ones on the 1,000 to warm up and then I'll go down to the 2,000s, uh, the 2,000 small ones. And um, yeah, like 80, 90 pounds is like the max I've ever been able to do. Mm. So, I mean, you know, I guess we could do the math on that. It's like... Um, five plus 90 and then divided by 1.72. Okay. Yeah. 1.7 body weight. Gotcha. For, you know, for reference for other, for people that are, you know, seeing how they compare. So yeah, 1, 1.7 X body weight on the, the, that edge. Okay. It I mean, I think this is interesting because it seems to me, <clears throat> and I, I feel like I, I see this a lot, like you seem to be one of the best in the world on the really tiny holds, like the fucked up little sharp tiny crimps, you know? And, it, and like Steve McClure kind of comes to mind too. I just recently talked to him and I think he also really stands out on those just very, very tiny, almost non-existent holds. But um, similar to you, like his his like max hang or like dead hang one arm numbers 20 mil numbers aren't mind-blowing they're, they're not like the strongest numbers out there and i feel like there's something a little bit those two things are are, are different somehow you know there's like the ability to hold the really mm -hmm. tiny stuff mm -hmm. um yeah oh absolutely i mean i've seen people that can like double clutch between the bad slopers on the beast maker <laughs> and then like max out at v11 <laughs> or like do one arm pull-ups like on the bad sloper or like the tiny edge and i'm just like i can't even one arm hang that thing um so you know i think it just goes to say you know i mean like i said when i was growing up it was like dave graham was my hero the dude can't do a one-arm pull-up and so climbing is is such an incredible sport in the sense that like you know it's you and your body and you have to figure out how your body performs and if you never can do a one-arm pull-up that doesn't mean you can't climb b16 wow yeah that's so sick that's awesome yeah but that's what's hard. I mean, that's what makes climbing so amazing. Right? Yeah. It's like, yeah. if everyone could figure out what the what the secret was to climbing, you know, Return of the Sleepwalker, obviously everyone would do it. But like, it's it's the time and energy, and it's building that library that that is what it it is, you know. And and so like so many people, they're like, what could, you know, what can I climb V eight? What can I do to get stronger? Just keep climbing, and just you know. Every climb you do, like like whenever I coach people, I say I say that you know because so many people like just like climb a V zero and then like and I'm like all right, tell me the sequence you just did, and they're like I have no idea, and I'm like okay, well you didn't learn anything then, and so um, yeah yeah I think it's really important you know to think about even when you're warming up like why am I drop kneeing right now why am I flagging why you know 
why am I, I going up with my right hand to this hold? And so that'll just like kind of transcend itself to kind of the harder climbs. And you'll start thinking, uh, you'll just start thinking in a more logical and, and more educated way. Um, and you'll just be able to like kind of add to that book, um, not just on your project that like you can't get off your head, but out of your head, but like on everything that you climb on. Paul, this has been amazing, man. Thank you. This has been yeah, incredible. Super fun. Re- really fun to talk to you. I really, um, yeah, we've never met before. Actually, that's not, yeah, I wouldn't expect you to remember this, but I remember, I don't even know if you and I talked, but I was at the Idaho Mountain Festival. I think this is like 2013, so years and years ago. Mm. And it was the the weekend that you did Warpath. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next day we were all at like the, that like 45, the green 45 boulder yes, or something. Yes. I remember in my skin. Yeah, yeah exactly. You were trying green in the face and like you yes, had to give but... in cause your skin hurt so bad. Oh yes. And yes. Uh, yeah, I was there with a couple of buddies, my buddies, Eric and Ryan, and we were all trying. Yes. You guys were trying the thing to the right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that V9 yep. called yep, waxy pants. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yep. <laughs> Yep. And yep. yeah, Paul, yeah, Paul comes over. This actually like left an impression on me. It was like kind of a light bulb moment for me because 2013, I was maybe like six years into climbing and um, ended up like squeaking out an ascent of waxy pants, that V9 that day. But Paul comes over, you know, I think you decided like, okay, I'm done on this V13 thing. And you're like, oh, this thing looks cool. And, and you just did a lap. You just flashed the V9 so casually that I, it was like this aha moment where like, oh, wow, somehow this grade scale thing that we've made up as climbers actually scales. You know, this thing's mm-hmm. like, this guy's climbed V15, this thing's like six grades lower than his max. You know, I'd maybe climb V9 or 10 at the time. So like, huh, that would be like me climbing a V3 or V4. And yeah, he looks like he's climbing a V4 to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. It was sick. It was awesome. Um, nice. But anyway, yeah, first time, this is the first time we've really talked and I've just really enjoyed it, man. You're a really thoughtful guy. Oh, okay. um, really appreciate how how open you are and just your willingness to share everything today about um, the injury and the process with that, the injuries, I should say, and your diagnosis and going through that and and just how you're processing that and thinking about that and being willing to share that for the sake of others. It's just... Yeah, a real gift, and I I, re- I really appreciate it. It's been really nice talking to you. Oh, absolutely! No, it's been it's been really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure, man. Um, what what's next for you, and where can people find you, follow you, and see what you're up to? Yeah, um, like I said, I'm going to do a quick trip to Colombia. Um, Lizzie and I are heading down there in about ten days. And it's going to be kind of just like a fun trip, but we're going to check out this this new little zone down there that looks really fun. And yeah, it'll be a really fun kind of country to explore. And I'm sure I'll make a fun YouTube video out of it. And then back to South Africa this summer um, due to COVID and injury last year. Um, I haven't been in a couple of years. So it's like, uh, it's kind of like my home away from home. So I, I'm really, really looking forward to getting back there. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what the fall brings, but I mean, box therapy definitely would be a really cool one to do. Yes. And then, um, yeah, people can find me on, um, Instagram and YouTube. Those are kind of like the two big ones that I do. Paul Robinson, 87 on both. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully I'll keep updating on, on YouTube. It's always fun. And I love the, the community over there. 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, for people listening, thank you for tuning in. I'll be sure to link to Paul's Instagram and that specific post that he just shared recently about his diagnosis. Um, yeah, really beautiful writing uh, with that post. I, I really appreciated that. So I'll be sure to link to that as well as dosage one and dosage two, those early inspiration videos uh, for Paul, yep. as well as Paul's YouTube channel and the Waco dailies and the injury recovery and some of his, uh, some of his other uh, films that are my favorites that I've watched. I'll be sure to link to all of that in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. Thanks again, Paul. Really enjoyed this and uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, friends, before you go, just a reminder to check out Chalk Cartel. I actually have an entire box of Chalk Cartel chalk in my van because it's the only chalk I want to climb with. If you are psyched to try it yourself, head over to chalkcartel.com and use code NUGGET for 20% off your next order. It's my favorite chalk, and I know you'll love it. Also, be sure to check out Crimped. Head over to crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store for iOS or Android. Check out some of their bouldering workouts or learn how to train your finger strength or whatever you need. Crimped has it all and training on your own has never been easier. Finally, be sure to check out Fizzy Vantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day and I'll often take two scoops on training days. I'll take it in the morning and then I'll take it an hour before I do my training if I'm training in the afternoon or evening, especially if I'm doing heavy finger training. Head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any of their nutrition products, whatever you want. They've got tons of good stuff, not just collagen. I recommend all of their amazing products and I hope you enjoy. And that's it, my friends. I put links to all the things I talked about with Paul in the show notes, all of his films. He makes really amazing videos. If you haven't seen, he's a really great person to follow on YouTube. I'll link to that. I'll link to his Instagram and some of the other stuff we talked about as well over at thenuggetclimbing.com. Thank you guys for listening to the very end. I appreciate you. I hope you have an amazing week and we will see you next time. Like we do it.